And here we are talking about hackers. Stop doing push-ups in your cell because you're listening to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 41, and my name is Jakob. My name's Jack. My name's Carson. I love that you think I can do a push-up. Um, I, I, I expect nothing less. Ten push-ups, even. Uh, today, we are also joined again by our esteemed guest, uh, who was with us a few weeks back for the Prince of Darkness episode. So a warm welcome to Randy Burrows. How are you, Randy? Hi, I'm good. Awesome. Awesome. Super happy to have you here. Super happy to have everyone in here. Carson's back two weeks in a row. This doesn't happen recently, but hey, we're doing it. We're doing it. And it's, it's amazing. Anyway, okay. The spooky season well and truly behind us, which we didn't mark with too much pump because we did just, um, I think, the aforementioned Prince of Darkness and the two Rob Zombie Halloween movies. So check those episodes out if you haven't already. Now the time has come to, let's just say, look into the future. As you may or may not know, our good friend Jack, who's here with us, um, is a massive fan of the Matrix series, and he simply yes. cannot contain himself in anticipation of Matrix Resurrections. If you follow him on Twitter, you, you will know all about it. So to gas him up even more we're, over the coming weeks, uh, we are going to embark on what I affectionately called, in my mind, the uh, Circling the Matrix episode series. At this point, I don't want to give away everything that we'll do, but for the foreseeable future, all of our episodes will be somehow, some closer, closer than others, tied to the Matrix series. And we'll start today by gently dipping, dipping our toes into the world of hackers by talking about Michael Mann's Black Hat. And the next week, we'll, we'll be talking about what the Wachowskis doomed space opera, Jupiter Ascending. But wait, there's more. It's not, it's not everything. On top of that, we'll also be doing a Patreon-exclusive special episode because there's more cool movies in this series that I could possibly fit on the Uncut Gems roster without taking over like three whole months. And there will be... So we'll be talking about four other films connected at the hip to The Matrix. So um, I might as well divulge the titles now and say we'll be talking about Dark City, Existence, The 13th Floor, and Equilibrium. But that will happen in December. Meanwhile, in November, over at our Clapper's Patreon channel, we'll be doing an impromptu Satoshi Kon retrospective where we'll discuss all of this guy's movies. Don't worry, he only made a handful, so it's not going to be a massive episode, I hope. But we never know. But what I'm saying is, if you if you like our voices and would like to listen to more of our opinions on film, and also don't mind supporting a small independent film publication, please consider subscribing to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash clapperltd. It costs two bucks a month, which ain't much in the grand scheme of things, and will always already um, unlock a whole metric shit ton of content for you to consume as you get on with your life. So, okay, <laughs> that's enough housekeeping for today. And let's get on with the program and talk about Michael Mann's Black Hat. Okay, so how's it work? You give NSA the data, they run it, what? No, they have a remote login, we run it. You're not thinking. Come on, they got the keys to the kingdom. Our guy's address, maybe. Whatever he's cooking up next is right in there. Only we can't read it. Let's go. My old correspondence with Donahue is here. But there's no way that login is still active. I'm not going to use that login. 
Okay, Donahue, the NSA contact you is talking. If NSA discovers the intrusion, you sure you want to do this? FBI can't explain after the fact. You locate this guy, you're okay. You get discovered, you're dead meat. You know that, don't you? Directed by Michael Mann and starring Chris Hemsworth, Viola Davis, Tang Wei, and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, Black Hat is a propulsive thriller about a convicted hacker, Nick Hathaway, that's Hemsworth, who is furloughed from prison to help the FBI uh, track a, da a dangerous hacker whose malicious shenanigans are threatening the world order. So together with a team of highly skilled professionals and aided by representatives of the Chinese military intelligence, LOL, um, Hathaway embarks on a dangerous mission to find the mysterious terrorist and stop the world economy from collapsing. Now, if Wikipedia is to believe, to be believed, Michael Mann apparently became inspired to make Black Hat after reading about the infam infamous virus Stuxnet, which took out all of, like a lot of the Iranian nuclear infrastructure back in 2010, I think. If, if you want to know about it, you can easily educate yourself on the matter. And, and it is truly fascinating, especially since it implicates both the US and the Israel and what can only be termed as state-sponsored cyber terrorism, which you don't normally hear about unless it's Russian or Chinese. So there's that. In a typical manner for man, he surrounded himself with experts on the matter, which included former hackers um, and like all sorts of other people to imbue the film with the kind of tactile realism he has been known for all throughout his career. Black Hat was also the first <laughs> film man shot exclusively digitally. It turns out that after, even though like, since Corrado, Miami Vice and Public Enemies were all like shot di digitally as well, he made use of 35mm camera work in them, which he abandoned completely for this movie. So the production was not really marred by any major drama. And the only example I can think of is the fact that Mann hired Harry Gregson Williams and Atticus Ross to score the film. But according to Gregson Williams, his work was not used almost at all. But he still got the credit. So there's that. In any case, Black Hat premiered in January 2015 and bombed terribly at the box office, presumably because American Sniper was reigning supreme to the surprise of pretty much everyone and diverted the consumer dollars away from Michael Mann's cyber thriller. In fact, Black Hat now stands as the least successful in Mann's entire career adjusted for inflation. So it probably didn't help that the critics at the time hated the film with a passion. Interestingly, over time, Black Hat seems to have developed a bit of a cult following, and now the world is divided into <coughs> essentially two camps, two, the indifferent majority and the militant minority of fans. What's, what's more, he, he, man, he also recut the film one, one year later and screened it exclusively at the Brooklyn Academy of Music and later shown, it was shown on FX, but it has now been removed from circulation and only fan approximation edits exist to the, and that can be acquired using the shady ways of the dark web, which is uh, ironically enough in, may involve hacking or not, <laughs> which, which I think we'll get to because the differences between the two cuts are quite fascinating in their own right. But anyway, anyway, in, Enough of my rambling, and let's proceed with the conversation. So let me ask you this. Where do you stand on Black Hat? Are you a militant cultist worshipping at the Church of Man? Or are you an indifferent agnostic? Or maybe you're one of the remaining few who still have an allergic reaction to the film. What is your take on Black Hat? Maybe we'll start with our guest again. So Randy, how would you lead the way and tell us what you think about Black Hat? Uh, sure, I'll start by saying I'm a pretty big Michael Mann fan. Um... My appreciation of his work started in, in 92. I saw Last of the Mohicans in theaters, and then Heat came out a few years later. And Heat was mind-blowing. And every time I've seen Heat in the years since, it seems to get a little bit better and better. Um, I honestly think Heat is sort of the ultimate of what uh, man is always striving to hit. And um, he's had 
a number of uh, films since, which haven't quite come close, but um, The Insider is up there. And I would say with uh, Public Enemies, he's trying to get sort of a period piece, not too far off from Heat. And then he's back at it with Black Hat, which is a hacker's version of Heat to a certain extent. Um, I liked this quite a bit when I saw it in theaters, and I, I feel it follows a lot of uh, man's uh, rhythms and beats. He is uh, technically sound, and his films are smooth and easy to watch. There's a romantic element. He's got an appreciation for human depth and drama. That's all here, but also in a big way, uh, man is always after like finely tuned uh, researched elements. And those are here in a big way as well. However, every time I watch Black Hat, and I've seen it probably four or five times now, every time I watch it and I pick away at sort of the accuracy of it, I seem to be more and more uh, let down. I, I feel that uh, Black Hat sort of loses its way. I, I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, but I'll just say that I, I think it's a, a, a solid piece. If you just want to let the drama and the, the romance and the, the hacking sort of take you through the film and take you up the rising action to the climax, you'll maybe satisfied to a certain extent, but I don't think this film survives solid picking of the scabs, to be honest. I, I, I think it, starts to gush blood a little bit so i'll, I'll leave it there okie dokie who wants to go next i can go next i mean go next yeah I, i'm sort of going to echo quite a lot of uh, randy sentiments I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big fan of michael Murray. i think my appreciation of like heat collateral uh, last time he cans, uh, thief um are all quite well documented um i really like public enemies as well i, th I think he's a very interesting sort of filmmaker who's, who's, a, who's an artist a great evolutionary of, uh, of the digital form as well. George Lucas and Cameron get quite a lot of um, uh, notable credit for it, but I think Michael Mann is definitely in, in, in that driving force as well. I saw Black Hat back in 2015, I think, when Avengers, Ult uh, Avengers Ultron came out. I think I think I went to go watch it on my own. I think I can't remember where I, where I was, but I, I know I definitely saw it, and it, something didn't particularly feel right with it, not being sort of engrossed in Michael Mann's filmography as, as I am now, I think you could probably see or seek out more details, but it really did feel hollow and, and ultimately an underwhelming venture. I was hoping that I would have the same experience with the likes of Mammy Vice, where in the UK you have a, a theatrical version and there's a, there's a director's cut that's available somewhere else. You watch that as a few sequences here and there change and it becomes um, a, a more brooding, uh, a, a, an immersive film. And, and really, the, the issues of Miami Vice in this film are very similar, but with, with a different opening, a few bits here sprinkled out, a lot more sort of thematic where we're spewed onto it. I hate to sort of report back here, but even having, having watched both versions, I feel exactly the same. I think Black Cat, I really don't want to say because it, it, it's actually quite sad, but I think it's just a fall of a really great creator. Um, I think it bites off way more than it can chew. I think there's a lot here that isn't ready yet. I think narrative structure, I think narrative in general, I think performance isn't here yet. I don't think Hemsworth is nowhere close to, to something like a De Niro, a Johnny Depp, uh, a Colin Farrell. I don't think he can brood whatsoever. I don't think he can, he can construct sensuality very well. Um, I think a man gets lost in what he wants to do. I think the, dig the digitalization takes over. 
Um, I think that each version of the film still has major issues of, of those of those things are brought forward. I don't think any edit solves that narrative wise. Um, I think there's a different way I see this film as I did when I saw it back in 2015, which I think I like my advice has helped it grow a little bit, but regardless, I just feel this, this film is so empty and hollow and it's so tragic because there's so much here that like, like what Randy said, like there's so much here that, that throws back to the likes of heat with the inclusion of hackers, but it has that same sort of vibe and it has that sensuality of Miami vice. Um, but something here, once you start ripping off the bandaid, it, it does start to bleed, bleed at the pore almost. And it, it's, again, it's such a shame because if, it, if there's anybody who, who deserves the flowers, that's it as, as a cinematic, um, um, evolutionary I think it would be Michael Mann and I think this film has severely dampened those hopes and and with luck that followed and and Tokyo Vice that's coming out and trying to get this Ferrari project off the ground uh, it feels like he's a man really struggling to sort of make his way back into those to the world of Hollywood Um, and really at the age of in in his 70s it very could be the last cinematic venture that he, he might undertake so there's a lot to worry about this film with its evolution as well, because again, I'll, I'll, I'll move, we can move on to cast in a minute, but I, I just honestly feel that I don't think another 10 years will be kind to this film. I don't think it will grow into something either, which is really scary considering the likes of what Collateral has, the Miami Vice, has the Mohicans. Um, this film is worrying now. It was worrying in 2015 and, and I don't think as much hope in the next 10 years. Yeah, so I think there's a bit of a different perspective considering I'm not a huge fan of Man. Now that I've explored his work and I do this really horrible thing with directors where I tend to watch like their smaller side projects and not like their main ones. Like I haven't seen Heat, but I've seen Ollie. I've seen, we talked about um, Miami Vice on here. I've seen some of his smaller side projects and it's yet to really inspire me. I think there's quite a few directors who captivate you guys specifically that just don't captivate me. Tony Scott's one of them, but Michael Mann is specifically one of them who just doesn't do a lot for me. I think he works well with atmosphere. He works well with emotion and finding emotion on the screen as an art form. But his stories, his characters, they just, they haven't done a lot for me in the past. So I walked into Black Hat not expecting a lot and it pretty much gave me exactly what I expected. I mean, there are some really genuinely beautiful moments of just like how he frames certain shots and the emotion he pulls from the environment very early on there's this scene of two people sharing drinks on the top of the skyscraper looking over i believe it's china Uh, it's beautiful and you get that moment and it evokes an emotion within you and i think that atmosphere that seduction of the visual language of film is where michael mann is best for me personally but the rest of the film i mean it just is unfortunate to say it is boring like it's not deserving of the january release date every january there's like a really horrible action film to come out that is just like bottom of the barrel basic boring it doesn't deserve that placement and like it is better than american sniper i'll give it that you know another reason to hate american snipers it's box office away from this but like it ultimately just feels like an uncaptivating story. And I feel like a lot of that though comes down to the lead actor. Uh, He is not good. (laughs) No offense. Uh, He is outright. Actually, I would say bad in this. The accent he's putting on is like laughably bad, Um, which sucks because Viola Davis then in the supporting role is like killing it. Obviously Davis is an amazing actor, but specifically in this, how her face gives no emotion. It does not change as she's speaking anything below or of the mouth, but she says stuff with such a power 
power. It really is like, she is great. I think this actually might be one of my favorite Viola Davis performances, but just nothing about this film gripped me. And I think it all comes down to like, even in the first like seven minutes, there's this really long opening preamble or well, not preamble, like opening where it's going through the computer and then you're seeing the news reports and it just feels like it goes on forever. This film just at no point hit me and at no point grabbed me, no point engaged me in its story. It was like, it was nice to look at, but it didn't have that substance and didn't have that hook, which unfortunately I'm finding with a lot of man's work for me personally, but I, that's my take on it. Yeah. I'm actually, I, I don't think I, I, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that we're kind of almost in agreement to this. I think Randy, you're the most positive on this. And I, I'll just add to my two cents. Like I've seen this, uh, I don't know. I don't. I didn't see it in the uh, in in the year it came out. I saw it in 2017, and I didn't like it. I gave it two and a half out of five. I think for exact same reasons as sort of what Carson just mentioned. That it's like I found it boring. Like fundamentally, the film doesn't really do much for me. And I I do appreciate the the sort of the style, and I appreciate the um, the ambition of the film. I appreciate the scale because if you think about it, this is kind of like his attempt at a James Bond film. Um, in a in in some kind of a roundabout way, but it doesn't work for me. Like it, and still on on the second go, I think especially with the, with the director director's cut kind of waltzed into this, it kind of gets better, but it's not something I I want to revisit. Like it uh, just simply is not. Um, and I have and I was str- scratching my head today, just like working up to the episode and just thinking like why why am I not like liking this because technically this is a film made specifically for me because i like this aesthetic i like the kind of sort of I, I, it has its moments where where i'm in this say where the this the, the sort of the shipping container firefight is it's it's like randy it's, it's basically like heat with hackers this is exactly sort of the mid second act um so set piece where where things are kind of decided for the future and then it propels the, the story forward but it it doesn't propel anything it's just it fizzles out and then doesn't really do much in the end. Whereas in Heat, you ha- you have this sort of massive confrontation in the end because you know who the antagonist is. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> you don't quite know who the person is. At the risk of spoiling, I didn't really want to use in the preamble who who is the antagonist and who he is, who he is played by. But it's like surprises, Brendan Gleeson, right? <laughs> but um, but <clears throat> sorry, but it what is uh. What, what what fascinates me about this about this movie is just how hard it tries to to make it work and how it fails in that. And I'm just okay. Well, let's just throw it out. To, I still I'm I'm kind of just of two minds on this, and I think I'm more 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 leaning towards Carson than everybody else in this room. That it just it doesn't do anything for me, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm super happy I didn't buy it on Blu-ray and I just rented it because I'll be just it will be just staring at me from my shelf, <sighs> and that wouldn't be a good look. Oh, <laughs> just Randy just flashed his blur. It's just great. Um, also, uh, from the person who owns Tenet, but okay. Don't don't even don't even. I, yeah, but I I know. Okay, I own I own many other things. I own I own Cannonball Run one and two. <laughs> no, that doesn't work because those are good movies. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you say. Anyway, so how about we start with this because um because i have a few questions to kind of throw into this so but let's just like throw a general statement so why does it does this film not work because i think we're all in agreement that it, ha- that it has a problem with propulsion that it has a problem with pace it has a problem with um keeping you interested and invested in what's going on so what do you guys think is the reason behind that 
I'll I'll start. I'd like to jump in on that because I was I was given a lot of thought to this um, through the week, and I think we've somewhat hit on it uh, so far. Um, Carson, I agree with you that um, Hemsworth here is is not very good. I think he's just been asked to you know, play the stud and he comes in and his accent isn't great. And otherwise he's a very flat Hollywood archetype for a leading man. And it doesn't work. I think in some of man's other films, what you have is an actor who can do that type of thing and make it sing, or you have a chameleon actor and that's where you have uh, heat working so well, because you've got De Niro disappearing into his role and you've got Pacino, um, you know, playing Pacino it on doesn't, Pacino 11. Pacino doesn't disappear into anything. When you hire Pacino, you get, you get Pacino. <laughs> That's right. So, so you've got a, a character type that you're familiar with, but Pacino has, has ramped it up to 11 in heat. And I, I think that uh, between those two uh, characters and those two actors, I, I think you have some propulsion. You've got some thrust in, in heat. And there's, there's just nothing here. And to be honest, I think the story here that works is more so between Viola Davis' character and Lee Home Wang's character. I, I think that teamwork between China and uh, the U.S., I, I think that's the thrust. I, I think really, if, uh, if anything, Hemsworth has to, be, has to be the support guy here. He's got to be the, the Val Kilmer if we're sticking with the, the heat comp. Well, that's fair. I mean, yeah. What do you guys, What do you guys think? What's 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 your take on? Uh, um, on this do you know, I, I, I think there's, there's a, I said in my my opening gambit that there's a lot here that's wrong, in my opinion. I think I need to point out to pinpoint um, detail um, would be we generally would be here all day. The the one thing I've noticed about it, and I don't know if it's a different versions of, of the film. I don't think it changes much. Is that there's an ideology this film puts forward where it's a James Bond, like you said, esque uh, terrorist hacking um, action feature where we're going to vacation spot in Jakarta, we'll go to Indonesia, then we'll go to Shanghai, then we'll go to, to LA, here, there, and everywhere. And, and we'll have a bit of um, iconography with a setting, and then we'll throw our really a- attractive. Uh, actress and, and actor in into these environments, and we'll, we'll just we'll just press record. I think that's a film that that, that came out, and I think that's a, that's a film that ultimately we've all seen. But really, I think what Michael Mann is trying to do here is he's trying to create a feature that demonstrates or tries to sort of experiment and investigate what what really is the, the theme of freedom is that people are trying to explore elements of freedom of financially and, and, and it goes to that legal sort of front of of hacking and but also again it's like it, lo- it looks at the, the yin and yang of this, this this ideology where you've got a villain who who's, who's taking down conglomerates online to, to 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 gain money he's doing online terrorist attacks that go into like physical um literal um attacks as well especially in in, in the uh, the opening sequence in, in the director's coach is changed as well for for that reason uh, and then you have the, the Chris Hemsworth, who, who is also doing a very similar thing. Uh, I think it's interesting that we, we, he puts those two characters together and, and the ideal, ideology of one that's creating really heinous crimes and ultimately getting away with it. And you have a, a young kid who made, um, let's say, a poor decision when he was younger in, in an environment that was 
was really to be sort of exploited. I think that's a really interesting ideology. And I think that the film tries to contain that as well with 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 how Chris Hemsworth's character ultimately sort of develops, but it's so weak on screen. And I think that's an issue where I think there's there's a genre film in here that that is brought forward more so than the character um, film that I think Michael Mann wants to make. And I don't think they meld very well together. But I think if, if we're going to be more on detail here, I would probably have to side with Carson and Randy. I, I said it also in my opening, opening statement, the major issue here is unfortunately Chris Hemsworth because it's so flat and uninteresting. There's no immersion. He can't conjure up any form of emotive power. I'm just sat there. I'm thinking, would it kill anybody to be able to like put him to one side and say, Chris, um, do you know when you, you sort of give this actress a, this look, can you do it with a little bit more sincerity or you know actual emotion? Because he just sits there and he's blank constantly. There's a sequence in the diner when when they're waiting for that that, that person to turn up and the, it, it goes into like a spy thriller. And I'm just sat there thinking, you know. If this was Colin Farrell, and um, I can't remember the actress in, in Mammy Vice, is it Bing Lee? Gongly. 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 That would have so much more sensual undertones where those two actors, that actor and actress, wouldn't even have to speak. But see, because this is an interesting shot- point you raise when you say Colin Farrell, because I actually was honestly con- convinced that Michael Mann asked him, can you please uh, behave like Colin Farrell in Miami Vice? Well, I, th- I think I think and it's he's what, trying to work it, an impression of him almost. Yeah, it's what it's what Randy said though. It, it, it's like play the archetype, and I think I think mm-hmm. Colin Farrell is one of those very few actors. I was on Twitter the other day. I don't know who, who said it, but he's one of those very few actors who can play archetype but really give it power. Where it doesn't feel like that, but that's his basis of what he can deliver. Whereas Chris Hemsworth can evolve because <laughs> he has archetype. this sort of mysterious sexiness. As well, they yeah, just but project but, but upon him. Yeah, but he he also has that grit, the Irish that thing. grittiness. <laughs> yeah, but he, he looks like someone who you would see on the street. Yes, but he, he's also he's also someone who would have like they would have a, have a story to say. Whereas Chris Chris Hemsworth would look like you know, I just I look look I, I don't want to go into Chris Hemsworth, but I just think that character again it just doesn't have anything. And it's what we're saying about the diet that the, the is the character or the, actor actor because I'm just thinking also it, that this is like. Oh, like when you say Chris Hemsworth, I'm just I'm just looking at him and I'm just th- thinking that he thinks I'm Thor bitches. Like the, no, he well, has I, this I, sort of energy kind of just protruding from him almost. Like he's just he's just doing someone a favor that he's there. I think if you see him in like the likes of Ghostbusters and in Men in Black, I think he's very one note. And I think if you see if you see him pushed like in Twelve Strong or the the opening sequence of of, of Star Trek where he plays uh, Kirk's father, um, he's very limited. Um, very, very, very limited, and I think it's. I think it runs in that family. Not to, not to bring the, the house down there, but uh, I don't think anyone would disagree. But uh, again, like this is written by a screenwriter who has, who's made one, well, has written one film, and it's this. Uh, and I think that shows because well, it's the screenplay. Like, it's almost like it's a so ghost flat. written by man as well, because I think it was man's it story, was. man's idea, right? But he hired the screenwriter to kind of just let it, let it all out on the page. Look, you, but but we, how many times have we been here where we've had a terrible screenplay <laughs> or a very mundane one-note screenplay elevated by a group of great, really good creatives? Mm-hmm. It happens a lot. I mean, that's that's the basis of Hollywood. I think if you look at, you get A, B, and C on paper. I think anyone can write something. I think it, it takes a creator to, to or a creative, should I say, to to bring it to fruition. And here, I just go back to that sequence in the in the in the in the restaurant where they sat there. 
And I'm just, I just, I, I, I just, it pains me to sit down and think, why is there no like interaction here? Because the, the, the film quite clearly, it, 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 due, due out of convention, we know that these two have a, have a sensuality together. Uh, they, they have a connection and it's just so mundane. And I just go back to that sequence where Colin Farrell and, 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 and Gong Lee are on, on, the, on the boat and they go to Cuba. It's like, a te- it's like a five, six, seven minute sequence that takes us out in the film. But there's pause there, there's reflection, there's, there's a beautiful sensuality. It's also and, dangerous and, because she's also doing something that she's not no, supposed to. Granted, but, the, right? but then in, in context, <clears throat> so is this. They've left the FBI, uh, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's, he has a tag on, so there's that certain connotation. Uh, and when you put them together, it feels like a very different director. I'm going to say this, I'll end it here, and I'll move on to someone else here. When you watch that sequence, and, this, and I'm not saying this is a detriment to this other person, I don't mean it like that, but I'm just trying to show you the difference between chalk and cheese. Mm-hmm. When you watch that sequence and then you watch Heat at the Diner or you watch Miami Vice, those films look like and sound like Michael Mann. When you watch the sequence here in, in Black Cat, it looks like Peter Berg's tried to do it. <laughs> it feels like a mimic. And I like Peter Berg. I really do. I think he's a very talented director, but it feels a mimic of what, what came before it. And that's the problem with this whole entire venture is that it's Michael Mann light, which is the, uh, the definition of an iron it because it's made from the, the man who built it. Um, I mean, that, is he that's just out of gas then? No, no, no. I think it's the wrong he's time. He's in the 70s, right? So, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll answer this and move, move on. But so, so there's certain elements in Hollywood where they, they just don't gel at the right time. And we, we, we spoke about this on with the panel activity on Clubbercast, right? What happens is that some, sometimes there's, there's a film and it broods with age and, and you, you, you see certain themes that are not particularly ready for it now in the social political commentary and the landscape. And 10, 15 years later, we have a revolution or we look at it as, as, a, as, a, as a renaissance, let's say, actors, performers, but usually themes and ideas. Schrader's one that with blue collar and stuff like that, you know? Um, this film is not going to have that. It's at the wrong time. It has. It, it's far too late on its on its comment. Um, it doesn't have any sort of repercussions socially, politically, on anything. I think Randy's Randy hits the point of the nail on the head. There is an interesting, excuse me. There's an interesting conversation on the relationship between the US and China, but nothing comes of it. The, 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 it doesn't feel like it's brooding with tension. It doesn't feel like a cold war. It just feels like two people are put together. It almost feels like a Jack Ryan film. It feels like something that Harrison Ford would have made in the nineties. Um, it's a film. I feel sorry to interrupt. It's a film. No, that no, feels, course, Yeah, I, I feel this film is drowning in the minutia of the setup, and the major casual casualty is the drama and the romance and the the swooning that's easy to get into in a man film. You know, it's, it's easy to fall into the romance of, of his pictures because, you know, the characters have a family that they care about, or they have a loved one that they care about, or there's a romance that you, for the most part that you, you care about. Um, And here it's focused so hard on, you know, there's a webcam here and this is connected to a proxy server. There's just so much exposition for this thing to work and just everything leads one detail into another detail. And it's a domino effect of my minutia. All this stuff has to f- fall in place for the plot to make sense. And, 
you know, Hemsworth's a problem, but I, I think too, there's just so much to get through uh, that it's just not, it's just not working. And uh, man is too distracted by everything he has to get through with the exposition. And see here, uh, okay, well, this is something that I kind of wanted to raise as well, but we're kind of walking into it almost organically. Because I'm just thinking, if this film wasn't about hackers, but it was about someone who stole, let's just call it a nuclear warhead, and you have to hunt him down, and they have to get his former body out of prison to help hunt him down. You have, you, like, you have a good, a, an espionage thriller that you almost probably think you've seen, right? It's very sort of arch, archetypal, for lack of a better word. And normally, you, and you, you'd almost expect that there's... You, you, you could honestly just propel the action, the action or the plot along without much ado. Whereas in here, all of the sort of crucial elements of how the story evolves, how the sort of gathering of evidence and then how, how figuring out who this person is, how to get him, involves people staring at screens and then, pro and then entering prompts in essentially a foreign language, Right. Um, and and re and relaying this to the viewer while dumbing it down, right? And I'm just thinking to myself, okay. And this is something that I just want to throw to you guys: Is hacking just inherently uncinematic? Is there is there a problem in here that is just okay? Well, here's Michael Mann with a sort of massive body of work and massive massive body of experience dealing like making action out of simple uh, concepts like I don't know a drug deal or. Um, a, a guy robbing banks, like this, this e or simple, easy things like an assassin on on, on a prowl in in a, you know nighttime LA. But here he's just overwhelmed by because he's overwhelmed by this concept of actually trying to make a film about, about hacking, and maybe this is where the issue is because hacking is just unfilmable in a way that's entertaining. What do you guys I'm, think on this? I'm gonna I'm gonna come out of a hot take here, and I'm slightly worried this is recorded, but. Right. I feel like the depiction of hacking on cinema screen is very much in the same way that sex is, is projected in that it's an, it's a euphoric thing. That Isn't that it's not for real? <laughs> no, no, no. That you can only appreciate and you can only understand if you are a participant of it. You can watch it from afar and you can, you can see its complexity or you can see its... Um, no, no, but well, <laughs> granted, I, mean, I wouldn't know what those sites are, of course. Um, oh, sure, you don't. But, 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 but I think it's a very same, same thing where it's, it's a very subjective thing. I think w w when you play at the literal the film hackers and you get that sort of it, it is almost like when someone achieves it, it's like a climax on screen, like there, there's an editing technique to it that there has to be a, a like a a, a visceral, visual element to sort of to, to make it brood in a way and to make it pop with life. And I think when you when you look at like sex scenes in cinema, um, you, the, there are always that really tender, beautiful ones. I remember there's a really good one in um, in Titanic when they're, ha they're having sex in the uh, the cab, and there's a, there's a, the hand goes onto the the condensed window. Um, I think once you can sort of expl explore it like that, and you can explode it in a really really sensual way. Um, it hits, and I think the issue with with, with something like hacking is that um, it's such a mundane thing. <laughs> you you really do need to sort of strike um, an um, an originality towards it, and, and those can either be so hit or so miss with with the depiction. 
I think The Matrix does an interesting job of it, but doesn't rely on it. I think this film, how specifically how man goes through the computer mainframe, are interesting, but it's just not compelling whatsoever because it's not it's not necessarily an act that's compelling. There's no tension to it. There's there's, there's very little atmosphere. Um, I think when when you when you bring it up, I just remember, remember the um, Oliver Stone biopic of, of Snowden. Um, and just being incredibly underwhelmed by something that was a major moment in not only the history of the United States, but probably of our <laughs> lifetime. It was just guy, that guy downloading stuff yeah. on a USB stick. And yeah, <laughs> you, you sat essentially there. Essentially, what it boiled down yeah, to. Yeah, but, but, but the thing is, you, you sat there and you're thinking, like, I, I can appreciate on that, in that context as well, but from a cinematic point of view, I'm thinking this man made JFK, this man in 13 minutes with Donald Sutherland and Kevin Costner. Um, almost redefined what montage is and it, with an edit. And I'm sat there, I'm thinking, this man is, is uh, Snowden in particular, the, the sequence where, he, where, he's, where he's doing the detail with the, the, um, the USB stick that you made fun of. I'm, I'm sat and thinking, <laughs> are these two very different directors? Because this is a monumental in history, very much like the JFK sequence, um, and nothing's happening. I just don't give a shit. And I, I find myself very much like that. Um, with the hacking scenario here where I want to be sort of exhilarated and I want to be put through sort of an edit, but Michael Mann's not that type of director. He's metallic. He likes to look at something and he builds off from it. Everything's blue, everything is grey. When we look at heat, you know, there, there are, it's a very basic plot in a, in a sense, good, bad cops and robbers. There's a bank job, blah, blah, blah. These people need to make money. But there's a deeper underlying surface of it all where you, you, you start to dig and you get these people of, of, of greed and lust and, and, and higher power and, and it's fight on, on capitalism and so on and so forth. When you look at Black Hat, like, I don't really know what substance you can dig under sort of the hacking thing. It doesn't, it just, it's, it's just a visual depiction of it on screen. There's no substance to it. So I think on both fronts, it's very, very poorly sort of constructed on this, on this type of cinema screen. I will make a point just uh, on what you said, uh, Jack, about this hacking is tough to make visceral. I would suggest that man comes about as close to making hacking visually interesting as you can. Uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoy um, there's there's two attacks in, in the movie, two of these uh, hacks and the the depiction of these packets of data running through the system and then rerouting and going through cords. I think that is really well done. And actually, I, I think that there's the shot that it made me think of just following this data packet through cords and cables and the cord, uh, the camera follows the cord and goes under other cords. And it, it reminds me of, I'm, I'm pretty sure, and I bet you you're the man to correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's a shot in Bound by the Wachowskis where the camera follows the phone cord into the wall. <laughs> and I haven't seen that in a long time, but I, I it's there's, these there's elements similar are... shot in the matrix as well. I think mm-hmm. when they, when they enter or enter or exit the matrix, you kind of go into the, into the phone. Right. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> this is, I think this is, mm-hmm. yeah. I th- yeah. So there's, there's, there's very much a, a matrix element here and, and, you know, I always love that shot in, in Bound where it's following the cord. And I think the Coens did it somewhere as well. And that's here. And you've got these, what, what are they, 45 seconds or so uh, sequences. And I find it's really well done because uh, they explain later what, how the, 
you know, God, and just because I watched it a couple times this week, I, I caught it, but there's, there's two parts to the hack. There's the rat, which opens the back door. And then there's a payload of malicious data that comes in. And if you watch these sequences, it, it does depict that fairly well. And at one point when the dangerous payload's coming in, it's coming towards the camera, sort of like a tsunami. It's very well realized, but it's 45 seconds. And that's about as visually interesting as hacking can be, because otherwise it's a lot of DOS prompt. You know, you know to, to that point as well, Randy, like there, there's actually really interesting iconography there as well. When, when it looks at those major, small, tiny cities in, in these these creations of, 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 of database and, and hardware. And when you see it and it's lighting up very so slowly and this, this ripple of electricity go through it, it has like this iconography of a nuclear attack, you know, just bursting through the city, but the infrastructure, there's interesting ideas put forward to it. But like Randy said, they're so far and few between where for 45 seconds, a CGI shot has more personality and intrigue than an actor who's getting paid $15 million dollars there's something slightly amiss there. And I think all I'll say is if you edit your film twice and you cannot elevate the material, unfortunately, you know, you've, there's not much you can do with it, unfortunately, on screen, which is so sad. The more I think about this film, the more I get slightly upset with it all because I expected so much more. A 21st century Michael Mann thriller sounds outstanding it's so much more less than that. It really is. It's, it's... I, I wonder too, if he's still tinkering because <clears throat> I, was, I was reading an article about, I, I think this uh, director's cut was shown once. Maybe it had one special event and I was, I was reading an article about it. And uh, uh, someone who was at the event said, man attended the whole thing, watched the whole thing. I was making notes throughout so he, so he recut it. He still didn't like it. I mean, it's, it's polishing a turd. Like he can it's still a turd. He can all, we can only roll it in sprinkles. That's all you can do. Anyway, I Carson, mean, what do you think about? I, I don't <laughs> about, know. I think yeah. there's this really interesting kind of like cinema is changing. We all I've <laughs> talked about, Randy. You've not been here, but we talked about it on the podcast before. Like cinema is changing, audiences are changing. His previous project, this which I forget the name of, was like twenty. What Public was enemies, it? I think, it was before that. No, yeah. I know nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that wasn't necessarily like a hit, was it? It wasn't like necessarily that well. I mean, Ooh, I don't know about well received. Let's it, say it but, made. I know it made a hundred million in North America, or very yeah. close to it. I uh, it okay. oh, no, it was like box office two hundred fourteen yeah. against hundred, 80, okay. 80 million dollar budget. So I think it made money, and that's okay. only I think domestic. Okay, I I just think like if. I because Michael Mann cinema from what we've seen and what I've talked about or what we, I've talked about what we've seen on the podcast like it's not necessarily meant for mainstream audiences yeah I also think we're getting to the point where like it's kind of undeniable especially like by 2015 what mainstream audiences are looking for in cinema is changing so him trying to change to potentially make something for modern audiences like you mentioned how it's Michael Mann light it feels like and I fully agree with that but it's like if he put Miami Vice out now, I don't think people would care or like it or, you know, I don't think it would be well received by general audiences specifically. Mm -hmm. So like, I just see when you I think we're getting to this point where like all these directors who really found this really beautiful need, really beautiful creative value. Like I can see why in their later editions with the changing landscape of cinema would kind of tone that down and try to create something not to say more generic because that's a little reductive, but like. 
I, I have an incredible empathy for the artist of today, trying to make cinema for modern modern audiences and seeing the trends of modern cinema. Um, and I, I do agree also, I'll just say quickly with Jack about the coding stuff. I mean, it's one of the inherent flaws. Unless you're going to pull like an Osmosis Jones with coding, you can't really do much <laughs> with it. It is so internalized, like physically internalized with the drama and passion there. Like to a point I was going to say originally, like, can't you really see that about everything, right? Like if you don't care about baseball, you don't know about baseball, let's say. If you're watching a baseball drama, well, ultimately, you're probably not going to get much from it. You can get the emotion of the person, of the players, like you can get the emotion from the coder. But ultimately, unless you can engage with it on a deeper level or you just have an understanding of like the emotional intelligence, let's say, of that object or that sport or whatever it is, that action, ultimately, you're not going to connect with it that much. But then like really thinking about it, coding is so internalized that you can't even be like, oh, there's someone on third base. I can physically like understand. I can visually understand and like understand the stakes here. It's just a bunch of numbers and letters. And I'm sure everyone who watched um, Mr. Robot is going to disagree agree because lord knows everyone mm. likes that show but like if yeah i don't think coding has been that well done outside of that show i don't think rami malik has been a good actor outside that show i haven't <laughs> seen it i'm beginning just to come to the realization that show is not good but sight unseen side point um i i agree fully though see i'm, I'm just thinking that now that you mentioned this say it put yourself, if I put myself in a position of like, I'm, let's just say I'm a complete baseball ignoramus. Like I have no idea what baseball is about. Like I don't know what the rules are. If I watch a baseball competently made baseball movie that actually relates the stakes of baseball to me, I can get invested because it's at some level you will just you will just quickly get it. Okay, well, the guy throws the ball, another guy hits the ball, someone has to catch the ball and then throw it back back, back into the in, into the diamond shaped thingy and someone has to catch it it's like fundamentally easy to grasp right and then you can get on with the program because you can you can root for one side over the other and then, and, and you have yourself a drama you can you can extend the same to like jazz music and you can see how like whiplash is successful as a film when you see like a performance of jazz band on the stage and then where the stakes are and how you can because it is effectively a sports sports film as well but you can get on with the program as well, even if you have no understanding of, of like music theory or anything like this. It's easy. In here, it's like, to me, this is an inherent failure of the film because you can either show hacking as what it is like for reals, and this will be those prompts, and then occasional sort of visualizations that kind of look like early 2000s David Fincher film to me, um, which are kind of, okay, there's this of like, the, sub, the superposition of like circuits against like a um, like uh, like a um, what do you call it a helicopter sort of bird's eye view of a city and then you can you can kind of infer things from this there's like a little bit of poetry in there but it's kind of just it fizzles out quick quickly and so you can either do it essentially realistically and alienate pretty much everyone because it's boring and you can't really um, get too much across without someone actually saying as things happen to telling you what's happening. Or you can do it like 90s sort of uh, style where you just like put like a user interface and or like put Timothy Oliphant in the diehard phone and say, download the virus, commence the downloads, and there will be progress bars everywhere and just looks ridiculous, <laughs> right? And then also alienates the audience because everyone knows like, okay, well, this is not what, what a computer looks like. It's all fake. It's all fakery. And then so you you lose, it's a lose-lose situation, at least where, from, where I'm, from where I'm sitting. And I totally agree with Carson that it's just, it's a film that's out of time almost because this would this would be something that would probably maybe be more successful 10 years prior 
and maybe even with the themes it's touching on, because we haven't even touched on the on the themes, because it is kind of just having a conversation about surveillance, about um, the sort of um, overgrown state taking over um, your free, taking your freedoms away without you even noticing. Because you, there's so many things you can accomplish if you if you just know your way into um, computer systems, and then you can just extract. We can find anyone anywhere. You can you you can I don't know download some. Um, like camera footage from a restaurant from some from from the other other end of the world it's just a fundamentally i think it's just a weird concept and then it just doesn't get uh, told very well because hacking or just operating with computers is just uncinematic at least in my opinion that's why i kind of asked it to, to see whether we're kind of on the same page because you know you do something on one end of the world it essentially happens instantaneously somewhere else and you can't relate this with, without losing the urgency without losing stakes so I have a thing that Michael Mann, by, by virtue of sticking to tactile realism, he basically just dug his own grave in here. Yeah, also, that's his relationship, right? That's his relationship with the audience, too. It's like, trust me, what I'm showing you is real. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is researched stuff. Do, do you know, just, uh, I've got to go back to Chris Hemsworth just for a second, because we're talking about, like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to be back to him as well because I have, I have shit to say as well. Yeah, <laughs> look, I, I think on, on, on reflection as well, I've, I've tried to sort of internalise these thoughts and, and I think I've sort of found where I come from with it. But I think this is the first time in a Michael Mann film where the precedent has been set for an actor before they arrive on a project. I think there's very few performers that, have had let's say uh, let's say a, a meteoric rise and they're in his films i think these are people that are renowned performers i think daniel day lewis you think of pacino de niro i think even with with, with colin farrell you have a certain christian bale where yeah, yeah yeah exactly these are people coming into a, a newfound uh, relationship with, with mass audiences i think bale Again, just a year after the Dark Knight, he's, I mean that was probably shot in two thousand eight as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you, you've got an actor again going into into that realization of he's going to be early eighties James Can <laughs> another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I also mm-hmm. think as well. I think Jamie Fox with Collateral, and then the issues with, with uh, Tom with Cruise. Hello, yeah, Tom Cruise as well coming into a, into a, in a newfound stage of his career. Um, Hemsworth is not that that actor. He is a megastar on a level unprecedented in, in the decades that have come before it within what four years since Thor in 2000, 2011 would it have been kind of brand so, of yeah. film yeah he would have had already, already had a sequel he would have he'd already been in two Avengers films at that point he'd, he'd done film, four films MCU meteoric he, he, he's not an actor that, that I think is crafted that Michael Mann wants someone who can who can internalize emotive structure or even perform I think that is a mandate of, of, of its ultimate unfortunate of getting made is that we have to bring someone on and it, it was chosen to be Chris Hemsworth and I think it's an interesting how Michael Mann deals with that because from what you've said as well you, you yeah, could be said about him being Colin Farrell light mm-hmm. I think I think ultimately that that's what he has to do with him. He, he knows what he can do. He can't evolve him anymore because it's not coming into a Michael Mann film as someone who's who's growing. It's really someone who's at the height of their career at that point. Um, again, he's gone on to do to do more stuff on their own, but I think in 2015, 
um, those people in that film were untouchable. Not 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 so a few few months afterwards, let's say. But I don't know. I think his relationship with that main actor is is, is one major issue. I don't think he can bring anything to the table uh, to give Hemsworth as well. So I think there's there's just a, a block of heads there of, of ideology of melding. Because I think Christian Bale is an actor that wants to learn. I think Colin Farrell is someone who who wants to learn. Tom Cruise. Jamie Foxx, Daniel DeLewis in particular, De Niro, they're always trying to evolve a character, wonderful performers. I'm not saying that Chris Hemsworth is, 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 is tripe. I don't think he's horrific, but I don't see him evolving on screen. I never see him evolve in, in the cinema space at all. Um, and I think that's, that's a major issue that Michael Mann has, where I think that when that person arrives on set on day one, that's the character. I don't think there's any more evolution that can take place. And unfortunately, as the film sort of develops and you have to sort of get ingrained in this character, you just don't end up not giving a rat's ass, really. Because I'm just sat there and think, you haven't changed emotionally from, from as soon as we saw you in the prison. Um, you've got no idea of sensuality. You've got no idea of emotive mood. You don't brood. You're not interesting. You don't immerse me. You have a core relationship to the film that's flat. Um, and ultimately, when it gets to the ending, which we will say for later, when it has this turn, let's say, um, it just falls flat and hollow. I think he's a fundamental issue of this film that goes far deeper. I don't know if you want to go, go down that avenue, but um, I think that's another issue as well, because sadly, the audiences are indoctrinated to knowing that's the thought. Well. Yeah, I think that's my. That's also an, an issue that you kind of have to... I mean, if you're a skilled actor, like you kind of right. have to learn how to overcome this. But then, like, he does have interesting roles, uh, I think. Like, have you well, seen well, Bad Times not, at wait, the wait, El wait, Royale? Like, he has a... Wait, wait, like, wait, 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 wait. Let, yeah, let's just, when you say good roles... No, not good. Interesting. As in, he... Well, he hold well, on. Well, he's well, good well, in Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah, he is good. No, no. I, that's, that, that, was my, well, that was my point. Like, I he, mean... You give him an interesting character. He can he can pull something... Like he, I, I'm not sure. Okay. I don't want to think... Say he's like Robert De Niro or like he's Marlon Brando, <laughs> right? Good. But he has more... Okay. Yeah. He's, agreed. He's not... He's he's not a, he's not necessarily just a stooge for Marvel. Like he, the, you give him enough some some material, I think he will spread his wings, however big they are. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, like, I think like, it's like an, vacation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's just okay. I, I think with dog, the fundamental yeah. problem in here is with the story, and then also kind of shows that with something that we haven't re- even spoken about. The guy is a hacker. He does push-ups in his cell. He's jacked. Okay, fine, because he's just Chris Hemsworth. But he's supposed to be a hacker. He's supposed to be a nerd. But he's a special ops. He's a Navy SEAL, essentially, right? He shoots people. He he uses a knife like a fucking ninja. Like, yeah, I, like I it, like it kind of looks like I feel just... like I feel like you will have it just like completely wrong. To be honest, I don't think Chris Hemsworth. Like, I don't think saying Chris Hemsworth <laughs> is here like being lazy. He's out here trying. The fact that he's in this movie alone, he doesn't need to be. He has Avengers. He has plenty of money. It's not like he's going to Michael Mann for like a money project when he has Avengers. He's trying to do something good. The issue is he's not a good actor. That's just the issue. Is he? Tr- Ooh, it's not even because. It's not even because, like, oh, he brings a physicality that the world doesn't need. He can't brood. He can't have this emotional. He can't have that. Not because he isn't trying. He's not just doing. It's not like Chris Pratt, who every single performance except for Mario is giving the same exact thing. And even with Mario, <laughs> the same thing. He's clearly trying to act here. Like, I don't look at this actor. I'm like, he's just lazy here collecting a role. He doesn't care. The fact that he's on set alone speaks to that point because he doesn't need to be again. But it's just he's not good like that's just the issue 
he works well with charisma, which you can see in the Thor character and in mm-hmm. situations like bad times at the El Royale, where he's able to really chew on some charisma, chew on mm-hmm. personality, chew on being fun. But here where he has to be this brooding inner character, he's not good. And that's just like, I don't think that's bad. That's not me calling him out. Not everyone can be Robert De Niro, De Niro or Daniel Day-Lewis. It takes a talent, very certain talent. And ultimately, Chris Hemsworth, peace and love, I, he doesn't, hasn't proven doesn't to have that much range, no? Oh. <laughs> on that point, on that point, very briefly, Cass, yeah. you bring because because I'm not to get really like grim here, but do you know you, you talk about him? You know he he just doesn't he doesn't have that next step, does he? As an actor, let's say. Do you know what's really sad? Not only for I can't speak for months. I don't think anyone here can, but I'm, I'm going to make a, a guesstimate here. But I'm also going to say it as an audience member, um, it's quite tragic watching an actor who who within four years is on a rise. And within four years of him being on screen, let's say, um, as a breakout breakout artist, um, that you can tell this is his limitation. This is his point where he cannot go any further. That's really, really sad as an audience member. And, 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 and do you know, I, when I say sad, I'm not in the cinema crying my eyes out and thinking, no, I'm, but I'm sat there and I'm thinking, you know, if this is how you cry, it's tragic. I, I pity the crowd. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm, <laughs> it is tragic because he wants sure. to be more. Like clearly, he wants yeah. to be more, but he just can't. That is tragic. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sat there. And I'm thinking, you know, he he's going to have longevity because you said you're right. He has charisma and he has an ability where he's like he's the Australian. He'll he'll have a Foster's of the you know and put a shrimp on a on a barbie or something. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 really awkward watching and thinking. You just don't have the legs, though. It's really sad to watch and think, "Wow!" And you know, I don't because I've said I've said this before, and I think it's very. These people are human. You know, these people that they blood, sweat, and tears. They might make millions of dollars, but at the end of the day, they're human. I know, and I think everyone else does here that there will be a point on time on that set in 2014 or early 2015. It would have been 2014. Came out in January, um, where he would have known. Hire him. Yeah, no, no, he would have known that. He would yeah. have sat there on set and think, "I'm out of my depth." And when you look, when you look around, and you've got Michael Mann storyboarding or, or giving direction, and a visionary who is there, who like like Randy said, who is a detailed masterclass of, of firefights and of just a cinematic detail, it, it, it's not only daunting, but but to to to, to have the world swallow you up. I, I think sometimes it's a very difficult place to get out from in a way where you understand your limitation. You can never go past that because you've, you've been in that scenario and you've tried it and it just, it's not going to take you there. And I, it's happened quite a few times. I think I, I'm not putting these in the same breath. So, so hold me here, but Sam Worthington is another, Sam Worthington is another one where he, there's being on set and, and then there's working with someone like James Cameron, I think, and, and you're there and you think, yeah, um, you know, I, I think well, th- th- there's a time and place where you, you must realize Sam Worthington makes Chris Hemsworth look like Marlon Brando. I'm sorry, but you know, <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's it's, fucking it's bad. So wooden. The, the, the one actor, the one actor who's got out of it, who, who because he's he's who's made very interesting roles, is obviously Keanu Reeves. Yes. I think this is the. I think I think I think if Keanu Reeves would have taken Chris and Heat, which was meant to do, but he wanted to do Hamlet on stage instead, I think we'd have a very different Keanu Reeves. Um, now, I think Chris Hemsworth needs to do that. I think there's, it's all all been well and good making Ghostbusters and then doing something like Men in Black, 
But really, I think go and make something with some emerging artists. Like Carson said, he's got the bank now. Um, Thor's never going to last forever, um, although they want it to. Um, I would let it go for a little bit and really just work with emerging artists, you know. Go go work with some emerging artists in Australia. Go work with Kurzel or something. I don't know. I just I just think there's an opportunity to do that. And, and there's look, he, he tried to do it with, with with Michael Mann. He's not ever going to be able to do that with another sort of creator. I can't ever see him working with someone like like Del Toro, just someone who eventually who, maybe. But you know, like if you no, I don't know, work with like Jeff Nichols or someone like I don't know. Give him a character. He's not. He's not, he's not a Michael Shannon. He's not a Michael Shannon. He's not oh, an no, Alan like Driver. That. He's not. He's not a Keanu Reeves. No. He's not that evolution. He's got one shtick. It's boring. And ultimately, in 2015, within four years, that's his ability gone. So to, this... to me, where I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm shook of that the, the, the man gets jobs. I mean, he gets jobs because he he's a box office draw. I think. Um, no. Well, I mean, no. Well, has I mean, he tried even to do anything like this since? Like, I, I don't think, think so. Probably, no, I'm just looking at there... vacation extraction. Like, yeah. it's not nothing. Of he that sat caliber. there in his trailer on the set of this movie, <laughs> looked in the mirror, and was like, "Well, what this the is the same role that so many people like." <laughs> Like I guess I'm not one of those actors. I might as well stick to what I'm good at. Like, yeah, it's also he's. <laughs> I mean, it must have been a bucket list item for him. Like, if someone, I suppose, okay, it may have been twofold. It's an right? actor. Well, well yeah, <laughs> like... but but you think about this. Um, who did this? Le- Legendary and Universal, right? So they knew they knew that the story is not going to just carry itself. Michael Mann's in his seventies. The story is kind of what it is. It's it's kind of like a hacking James Bond. They probably knew the the, the script wasn't the greatest in the world. Like it wouldn't sell. You wouldn't sell this film on the script alone. So you need someone to headline the film to bring money in. So they they probably needed someone like Hemsworth, and then Hemsworth will probably never say no to working with Michael Mann because it, he's one of the legends, right? Like you, you don't get to work with him for very long because he's probably going to die in the next ten years or so, and then you know. It's, it's your once in a lifetime opportunity to be on the set with this guy. And then he probably just, as you say, like looks in the, in the mirror in his trailer and just goes like. <sighs> no, do you know, not, how, do you know what happened? Yeah, not on my depth voice. Do you know what happened? In early 2014, Michael Mann made a phone call to someone who, who worked at Bad Robot Productions and went, is this Mr. Abrams? And this man went, yes. And he went, I'm looking at Mr. Hemsworth. What do you think? And J.J. Abrams looked looked at the, the Star Trek fucking thing, went, oh, yeah, I did, I did work with him for five minutes. Yeah, hire him. He's, he's, he's brilliant. Yeah. Have you seen Thor? And Michael Mann's gone. He's like, Michael? <laughs> Michael? He's like, you know, he's gone. <laughs> That's how he got cast because there's really no sort of... Ma- Michael Mann would not... I, I just can't see Michael Mann... You think he hangs up on people without saying bye? <laughs> Michael, Michael Mann's like fucking... Like Robert Nero and Heat. You don't see him. He's, he's, he's like, wears grey suits in public. You know? Hey, what does what does Michael Mann lose by like he's old, he has money, he has a career, he has a legacy. Like, why not give the star if he wants an up and coming star like a chance to break out after he's been kind of stuck in like this Thor mainstream role? Like, okay, Michael Mann is gonna die in ten years. It's not like I mean, he cares. Five bucks. He didn't even give a shit who he's casting because he was because he was so ensconced in the case of this film. As in, like, I'm really into this sort of hacking shit, and I don't care who's in my film. Like I have a thing that he, he, this must have been one of those because he was just so focused on trying to get the plot right, and he, I don't think he did. Because I'm saying, ah. as I said, like just to, to me, it's a character problem as well. Because you give anyone this role and it would suck. 
because it's just like okay well on hacking hacking alone you can't get enough urgency into the character you have to give him a, dr- a small drama which is just kind of like half in half out and then also on top of that you kind of have to just okay well we need to get some kind of action in there so we have to now pretend that this guy is not a nerd he's also a ninja like he's ridiculous like, if oscar isaac was in this role it'd be awesome let's be yeah but then like, he here's can actors brood. i don't he know why brood. you would and he can grow yeah, a beard as but... well Ooh. Oh. <laughs> fair enough like, i'm not gay but i'm uh, yeah uh there's things i could do to <laughs> to oscar isaac anyway <laughs> You keep your talents to to yourself. Um, no, it's I'll in public say, domain. I'll, Hello. <laughs> I'll, I'll say I'll say one thing as well. Um, you know, what, what was I going to say? Um, I was gonna say? Oh, that's what I was going to say. Sorry. The thing with Michael Mann is as well, and, and I alluded to this in my opening opening statement again. I don't think Hollywood treats Michael Mann in the same way that audience members do. I think I think I think you can appreciate him as an artist. I think, like I said, I think Carson does, but I don't think Carson connects with the work. But I think you, you can watch Heat and you can you can look at the artistry there and you can look at something like Manny Vice Collateral and you can appreciate that. I don't think Hollywood really gives a, a shit either way about Michael Mann. I think I think he's a Specify, risk. What do I you think, mean Hollywood? Like studios or? Yeah, I, I think I think studios. I think I think. Career, Is there a director like, like him who you would say they do, other than like the big, like undeniable Martin Scorsese? I suppose like, Ridley um, Scott is probably one of them. Yeah, but those names are like household undeniable. Oh, also in his eighties as well, right? Same they don't generation. Give a fuck about um, Paul Schrader. They don't give a fuck about Tony Scott. They don't give a fuck about Michael Mann. Why would they? The thing, the thing is with, with Michael Mann is that he, he does bring sort of an evolution to, to cinema in a way that he, he mm-hmm. he's tried to, to bring digitalization. I mean, he did it with Ali as well in 2001, um, pre the Attack of the Clones with, with, with Lucas doing it fully in, in a digital book. I think the, the problem with Michael Mann against Lucas and Spielberg and, and particularly the James Cameron is that those creators, the latter ones, create it with newfound spaces of sci-fi story working within the, the Hollywood system where they're making Avatar that, that makes them billions of dollars. They make Jurassic Park that makes them billions of dollars. They make Star Wars that make billions of dollars. Michael Mann's doing it in a 1920s period piece about John Dillinger. And I think it's not friendly for, for mass audiences and I don't think it's friendly for mass appeal within the studio system. And I think... There's only so long, so long you can go where you, you, you don't bring enough returns back to, 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 to the homestead. I think after a while, they're, they're going to turn on you. And I don't, I don't think it, I think Black Cat was, was one of many. I think, I think Miami Vice was a really, really tough raw deal for him, knowing that it was a property he helped create in the 80s um, um, as well. Um, but but I think my advice was it was a difficult one. I think Public Enemies was another one where it was, oof, we're, we're going to cut off a lot more. We can chew here. I think also as well is that with those type of filmmakers, it's the same thing has happened with the Chowskis, where uh, if you can't bring in raw appeal and you can't bring um, you can't bring commercial success, then at least try bringing critical or uh, at least academic. Uh, I, I, Academic success and man's also failed on that front as well. And not necessarily that's what he's going out for, but, it, but you've got to admit that if you're going to put Johnny Depp in a in a period piece where like a Christian Bale, and I, I make naming that as, as one one certain example, you have to sort of hope that if you're not going to tick two boxes, you might just get the third with the best support or a lead 
or best director, best picture. And, and Man's never really gone for that. I don't think he, that's his criteria. But ultimately, if you don't tick those boxes, you're not going to get those films made. And, and unfortunately, I, I think Michael Mann probably is done um, to the extent that I don't think we'll ever see a heat again. Uh, but what, what upsets me about these type of films, I don't know if anyone's seen this, but Craig, uh, Craig's Esala uh, made Dragged Across Concrete, which is a very much right-wing approach, let's say, of heat. But it's done for a, many, for a mini-school amount of money compared to the likes of heat and working with different personas and, and, and performers. But really, you can make those films on a smaller scale. I don't think man would sacrifice that uh, scale and scope to make the more internal features that he wants to. I think if he couldn't shoot Robert De Niro and Al Pacino on a runway in Los Angeles, the film wouldn't be made. If he couldn't get the 1920s uh, d- d- done right with a digital format, if he couldn't have them do that and he couldn't have the costumes like he could, he wouldn't have made that film. You know, there's certain stipulations I don't think Michael Mann would want to sacrifice in order for a project to get made. And I think it's interesting to see how courageous he is with the Ferrari biopic that was with Christine Bale for a long time. Then it went to Hugh Jackman and Numi Rapace. And then it's dead because of the, the Le Mans it's, thing. It, with the isn't it Gaze supposed Mangold. to be in production still? Or no, it'll never get made. No, no. I think, I think Tokyo Vice is an interesting one because of his issues with HBO and Look. I think you're uh, right, Jack, uh, yeah. um, that man has a, a sort of a long history. Like since the 90s, he's gone after big budgets because that's what his vision has needed. And just going back to something Carson said earlier about a changing audience, in a way, it's a miracle that $70 million was available to finance Black Hat. Um, you know, I don't think Black Hat gets made today. Uh, mm-hmm. with 70 million. I also find it hilarious that the amount of money that you see in the bank account where it's switched and it goes to zero is 70 million. And that was the budget. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, point of note, I have a thing out of the 70 million, I want to say at least 40 went to the, uh, to the cast and, and, and crew as in like in sal- this, salaries was like 40 to 50 million of this because no. you know, like you don't pay Chris Hemsworth like a $5 million salary on this. Like he, he no, got no, no, way he, more than this. No, 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 that's not true. People get this misconstrued. <laughs> I think I was going to correct Carson on it, but I don't want to put, because Carson uh, was horrible to me on one of the last Uncle Gems, um, like Ad Astra, <laughs> so I'm going to come back with it. That's not entirely true because the MCU deals are made on minuscule payday. So they'll sign a five-year deal. Um and, and really, it's very difficult to renegotiate those, even with a major success. So if he's in a five-year deal after Thor and he's made four of them, that motherfucker might be on, let's say, a million a pop at that point, maybe yeah, a little bit less. To the know. outside world, he's way, worth more because he brings the uh, Thor or Marvel clout with him. Yeah, so they have, they may have, he, may have to, he may be able to negotiate much more with Universal, right? I that, doubt that, that he would get $8 million for this. I think? I also doubt that. I, I yeah, I, I, I think he's looking at a $5 million payday or something like that. I'll Just say this. If, if, Viola, if Viola Davis was a man, she'd be paid more than him on this film. And earned yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, no arguments there. Um, Do you know, on a, on, a, on a more positive thing, I think w- w- one thing, thing that this film misses as well is that, is that visceral action. Um, no, it has and again, the like, action. 
but, but it but it, it does it has one really good set piece which is in the middle i believe is shanghai with violet with the uh, shipping character. container firefight yeah that's the one <laughs> I, I i i don't I, I i disagree i think it's too slow i think i, I think the editing is lethargic um I think the best the best one is is the Kane and Lynch esque, which is obviously der- derived from Michael Mann, which is an interesting sort of full circle. Is the Vilo Davis and I can't remember what the, the the man's name is out of Fight Club and Mindhunter and the of course the cameo in Josh Whedon's Justice League, which is absolutely exquisite. McCallany. Yeah, I think that mm-hmm. sequence itself is really well shot. I think it's it's frantic. I mean, on the streets of Shanghai, so when the when the car explodes, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think it's weird because when you watch, <laughs> not to contradict my point, but when you watch that, it feels like anti-action um, as well. It feels real to a point, but it feels brutal. That's mm-hmm. the best sequence in the film for me. I, I don't like the ending because I think it's it just it just jumps the shark with a Hemsworth character. Uh, that, we'll get to that again, but not because I don't want to keep on speaking, but. Even for sort of genre convention, I think this film is very limited. I mean, there's, for, there's man, f- for these idiosyncrasies, anyway. But see, in terms of the action, there is a few moments when it cooks. I mean, okay, well, there's one sequence that's I think only in the director's cut where they arrive in Shanghai and they. It's basically it's not even an action sequence. It's a very suspenseful, propulsive, propulsive sequence where they arrive, they land, they go into a hotel, they fake a check-in situation. <laughs> Um, they use a um, um, like, like a service elevator, and then they change cars, and then you kind of have not, nothing happens in there, but you kind of feel like they're being watched, and they have to evade something. It kind of just gets you going, but it kind of then dissipates again. And then there's like three or four sequences that are kind of just like, for lack of a better word, they're man esque, as in they're incredibly realistic and they work in the moment, but they. They work in service in service of a story that doesn't really add up to me. That doesn't stack up. I, I have a thing that the, the massive story that, that that you can't internalize. Carson, you said it, but you can't internalize the stakes in here. I think you can't put yeah because there's this just invisible uh, villain whom I've just realized it's not Brendan Gleeson. It's like Yorick Van Wagen Dingen. Did you actually? I thought you were joking about that. <laughs> no, I honestly thought it was Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> I thought you were joking. I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at this because like, just for five years ago, I saw this. And I was just like, wow, Brandon Gleason lost weight for this. <laughs> did it, did it Gingered up as well. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, so he's, he's, it's not Brandon Gleason. But, but you know, you get the point. Like there's there's few sequences that work so well, but then the action finishes and it doesn't, it just, it, it just fizzles out. It just dissipates into thin air. There, there are moments in here like, which I really liked. They're super realistic. Like there's this, I think it's Albanian guy. They 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 shadow him. They in a very realistic way. And then how he finds out that he's being spied on, it's brilliant. And when he sees a reflection in a teapot, it's a great stuff and great little detail that's just conveyed with just visuals alone. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? But then, and then you feel like there's this just impending sort of conflict coming on, and then it just essentially just dissipates after the sort of ship, shipping container fight because there's just it just I don't know it just goes elsewhere. Because Do you think that's conscious? So- hmm? Do you think it's conscious? I don't. I yeah, I don't think it is. I honestly think that he that's this when you think about this, the man hasn't finished editing this yet, and you know for the for the theatrical cut, he had a final cut on this, and then he 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 watched it. No one liked it. And he did, probably didn't like it. He made a director's cut. Probably took notes, as you say, 
when he was screening this and he still probably doesn't like it because he, there's an inherent flaw in the film. And I have a feeling that this he may have realized it's just hacking is just impossible to get right the way you can you could get right um, like bank robberies or um, yeah. just, uh, you know, like, like what, in Thief, like just getting into a safe. You can I can watch James Khan just drilling a hole into a safe for 20 minutes straight in complete silence. I'll be captivated. Right. He's, I, yeah. he's chasing the plot. And yeah. in in essence, so there's there's two major hacks, and in the theatrical cut, you start with um, it's the nuclear plant has been hacked into, and you have a meltdown, and then the hack into the Chicago Stock Exchange uh, to increase the price of soybeans. Uh, those are the two hacks, and then in the director's cut, they flip, and there are problems with both of those just structurally. Um, I think with the director's cut, which says, well, let's raise the price of soybeans. That's the first attack. Uh, sort of makes sense. There's, there's positives to it. But at, at the end of the day, why, is, why are the Chinese engaging with the Americans on a code that attacked Chicago? I, it, it just doesn't have the stakes. Well, they, the stakes are vague. Um, they, they explain this when the, in, in the most sort of rude way possible. It's just like, oh, yeah, because well, China is the massive export, oh, importer of soybean because they, like, they grow, they, they use this for something. And it's just, okay, it's ridiculous, right? Like you kind of yeah, want it the other way around because it's just now it's in China. Now it's China's problem. Right. And I think they did in the director's cut is as good a job mm. explaining it as they could. Um, but still, why, why do you send, you know, your uh, main uh, military cybercrimes officer to Chicago to liaise for a hack into a soybean <laughs> increase. In America, by the way. <laughs> right. So why, right. why <laughs> it makes so, no, like it makes little sense when you start scratching at it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I meant. Whenever I, I go through this and I I just I try to concentrate a little bit more on what man is doing it. And he is all in on the details here, right? That's that's his thing. And the more you pick at them, the the more this whole thing falls apart. But at the same time, he still has to have the rising action and the the climax, and he has to get us to the end. So he's got to have some character relationships uh, that work. They don't really. Um, the the romance is is weak, and then you have to have these beats along the way. And these are the action scenes. Uh, I think I, I think the one that ends up on the harbor of of Sheko, I think that's pretty cool. I like the one in front mm -hmm. of the airport as well, as you mentioned, Jack. Um, you know, they're they're good, but they're they're beats. And then, as you said, Jack, as soon as that subsides, he's he's got to deal with editing together the dominoes of this plot and they're just struggling to fall in a way that pulls me in and or it keeps me engaged you know i don't i don't really want to know the answer to this but i'm gonna to have to ask anyway because it's actually slightly heartbreaking but do you do you think that this is a man that's slightly indulged in his ego then as a director do you, do you think he looked at this and thought i can do this i think halfway through he realized I might be out of my depth, and it, and and at that point, with the, with a seventy million dollar budget, like like you said, around there, there's no real, there's no real escaping that. I think I think you the the ghosts are going to catch you at one point. That you, you you're going to get caught in, in the shadows at least. And I think he, he's probably slightly know, knowing that he's edited this for, for, for the director's cut and that it, that it premiered on on on, on television, and, and there's still 
I think there's probably something yet to come as well with, with, with a newfound pipeline. I think he's chasing chasing ghosts as well. I think he, he's probably realising on a, on a, within his conscience that I, I made a mistake here and I would, I would like to rectify it. And I think if this had happened in 1989 or 1993, I don't think that would be too big of a problem. But the, at the age of being in your 70s, it's like, it's like Ridley Scott's still trying to do Blade Runner now. There's a point where you have to let it go and you ultimately have to let it be a demon as a, as a creative and you have to have it in the back of your mind and think, there's what I can do and there's what I can't do. And it's like the Hemsworth thing. He, as much as, as much as I think he's detrimental to this film, there's an appreciation I think with him within him that he knows where his limitation is. And sometimes it's not a bad thing knowing that, knowing that there's so much you can accomplish. There's not knowing so much what your talent can speak of. Um, it is different as a director because if you do make that type of film, you may not be able to make another one. I appreciate that. And as an actor, you're afforded far more options um, in front of the camera than you are behind. But I think this came at a point within his career, like I said, my advice, and maybe with tipping his toes in with public enemies where you're not particularly afforded to have those ego trips that, like Ridley Scott, you can't give him a film. And I think you could probably make the comment about Alien Covenant but if, on what side of argument you're on. You can't give him the roll of the dice to make something that might be interesting or different. I think the, the, the interesting thing is that you, you couldn't give Ridley Scott Dune. You couldn't give that him now because you wouldn't know what you were going to get. Whereas if you give it Villeneuve, you've got an idea. If you give it Nolan, you have an idea. That's not Here's the question. Because... If, would Denny Villeneuve make Black Hat work? Yes. Probably. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, but, but who, but, I mean, that, that's, you know, what ifs, maybes. I, I don't know. I, what we've got to do. And Villeneuve would pause, Villeneuve would reflect, Villeneuve would. Would, would have brevity in, in places where there's not this chunk like like, like Randy said he's ch he's chasing he's chasing this 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 film down and hoping that it, with with his stampede that how fast he runs these dominoes are going to fall behind him and they don't and I think if you're trying to chase a film for any sort of director ugh, you know I don't it very rarely comes off and I think I think this really is is um. Uh, the realization that that, that ultimately Michael Mann is fallible, and that's always something sort of slightly horrible to to to, to read and, and to hear, and to, to sort of as a fan, to slightly heartbreaking. But I think this also comes again to come at a time in his career where this didn't really need to sort of be done in a way that he's fallible. If it was happened when he made um, Thief, or I mean, The Keep was the the one where you thought, you know. He tried to make a film that was akin to the, to the, to the gothic horror. It didn't work um, for more reasons than they, one. And he never... they, take, they took it away from him almost, didn't they? Yeah, yeah but, but, but I mean, <clears throat> the man's out of his depth. He, I, I'm sorry, but he is. He's so out of his depth in that film. It's not his type of film, you can tell. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I think when, when you watch a film like Manhunter back, that's, that's Michael Mann. This is very much akin to the, to the, the keep scenario where he can't just bounce back with with a manhunter. I mean, he could do. I mean, he could make something for ten million dollars. But um, we I had this conversation I'm... for uh, with the frighteners. It's very difficult mm -hmm. for certain it, when you hit certain age. I think it's maybe it maybe difficult for certain filmmakers to scale down. 
Like to just yeah. because you just grow accustomed mm-hmm. to just solving problems with money, right? And it's just like, well, I, I just want to firefight in my. I, I want to close down like half half the city in here because I can, you know. It's, yeah. Like it, I mean, it, you're it, also yeah. just like contextualizing your own death, and like this might be <laughs> like one of the last projects I do, so I'm not going to take like limitations or like sh- you know try yeah. to slow it down or anything. I'm going to do whatever I can to make these last few projects really like big and meaningful. Mm-hmm. No, that's what just... makes it strange. Sorry, just that's why it makes it yeah, strange. Why he wants he wants to make the Ferrari thing as well. I have a thing that this is this is his sort of like he wants to, this to be his swan song, like the Fer- the Enzo Ferrari film. Yeah, like a, like a contextual, like building mm-hmm. something and letting it out to the world, very much like a like a creative like Ferrari would have um, done with it. I, I can see the yeah. parallels there, but uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Um, but then, not like, with what he wants to do. And... Coming back to Black Hat, just conceptually, I think. It kind of again. I think Jack may have been you who said this when you say mm-hmm. like that. This is the ego protruding here when you when yeah, you just think thinks. So. Okay, if you might, if 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 internet's to be believed that hit the idea to, for his film was the Stuxnet virus, he reads an article in a newspaper and say, "I want to," says, "I want to make a film about this." Like it seems intriguing, right? And then. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, okay, well, he's at this point, he's already like in his 60s. So he's a boomer making a film about in sort of the internet sort of era. So he's out of his element already. I, oh, I, I, have, I have a feeling that someone who would be in his like 30s and 40s who kind of grew, like matured around the internet would be probably more informed by this. No, but he's a pioneer. He's a pioneer of the digital market, though. Yes, I, yeah, I think, that, well, I think, yeah, it, that, I well, think that's a yes. strain, though, yeah. Um, no, no, in terms of like, the cultural impact of the internet he's almost he's an outsider looking in as an as opposed to an insider looking uh, uh well, te- well relaying the story to the outside i have a yeah, feeling that he, he's he's someone who had to learn the ways of what he was trying to relate and then the i think i think you're i think you're bang on with the with the ego thing in here as in i'm a michael mann i can take my approach as just break it down realistically get the sort of convicted hackers in my office and then let's let's talk this through. Let's let's do let's let's do do a heat on this, right? Let's make this let's make this right. And then he probably all the way through production, he was still thinking, yeah, it's gonna come together. It's gonna sing. Believe me, guys, it's gonna sing. It's gonna mm-hmm. cook. And then he went into the ed- editing bay and he realized it's shit. Do you know, what? look again, just very quickly on the ego thing. I don't think it's bad to have an ego in cinema. I think if, if my oh, no, yeah, have that... an ego. If Michael Mann didn't have an ego and someone told him at the age of whatever, he wouldn't he was have a career. London, yeah, he said, <clears throat> you should, "I want to pick up a camera and make films." Why would you? That's just silly. Like then he would not. He would be like, "What? Well, I would be making like fucking creative decisions at Yahoo or something like." He, he, unfortunately, that sort that sort of mentality drives people and that creates ego, which is a which is a positive uh, reaction to, to sort of being told no in one way which Hollywood seems to misconstrue when people tell them no not to do something they seem to just act on those very much impulses um, uh, but I just think this is a realize, realization of I think something got away from I, I, I keep on going with what Randy said like it feels like he's chasing a plot I think he's chasing an ideology chasing an idea of I want to make this out of this and I think I don't know I just think there's something I wonder if he had a hand on the and, script he did. I, I don't know how he yeah did. but yeah, um, I, so. I mean, the, the story is his, and I think he hired a screenwriter. So I'm not, um, yeah, he doesn't have a screenwriting credit. There's no but, credits, though. Right. No so, the... but if you believe like IMDb trivia, I think there's there's been a collaboration between what's a guy's name because he didn't do much more Morgan Davis Fall, and and so I don't think 
this was hand, this was a script that landed in his lap after he said, I want to do this based on a newspaper article, just hire a screenwriter and just give it to me. I think there was a some kind of a relationship in there because this, the script has the sort of Michael Mann elements in it. Like there's the, the DNA is in it. So I don't believe someone could have, uh, you know, faked it for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just wonder if there were more involvement by him that he had, you know, an actual credit on, on the script. If uh, I wonder if his just not being there, if that re- reflects a, a certain absence that if he had been, would have been, hmm. you know, improved. I, mean, I don't know what the writer's guild um, rules are on like crediting uh, in terms say, of percentage uh, of like uh, you, you, Carson and Jack, you probably know better than than, than anyone. Well, he, I he, he, he's he's written everything else, and he's been accredited yeah. for it. This right. is the only film he's never written or been accredited for it. Also, mm-hmm. so if 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 if, if uh, did, did the screenplays get um, uh, submitted to the to the uh, WGA as well? So if if you if there's two screenplays and, and they have very similar themes and very similar plot points about that. And you've written one or someone else. You, you both get um, accredited. It depends how much material you put forward. Um, so if Michael Mann has made an active um, participation with, with a screenplay, then then he would probably get accredited for it. So I, that would be, that would infer that he didn't have a particularly great amount of um, input from, from my opinion. However, that's not to say on set on the day, it was like, let's maybe do this instead. You know, this, I think with, with Michael Mann, there's always a procedure of, of um, improvisation, but I think very much it'd be structured to the to the to the script to the uh, to the screenplay. I would, I would have imagined. I mean, if, if this is yeah. very much out of character for him as well, I mean, he's accredited on everything, even the keep, even go all the way back down there yeah. on everything is set for this. In in this one, there's there seems to be an element that, uh, and maybe it looks fine in the script form, but when it comes to shooting, and you've got to get some actors to the airport and other actors over here, just putting it all together. And what do we shoot? I, I just, I just wonder if um, there's, there's elements there that weren't forecast early on and they have an impact here because there's sort of a scattered feel uh, to what shot and how the, how the characters get delivered to where they need to be, where certain characters go. Like there's a, a scene where uh, Jessup who is supposed to be tailing, uh, Chris Hemsworth, you know, at arm's length, but uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, Tang Wei, they just go to the Koreatown meet to try to, uh, you know, meet people and see what this exchange is all about. Jessup's nowhere, nowhere to be found. So, so characters come and go and end up other places uh, and it's just not communicated. So you know the I mean, elements probably looked fine in the script, but there's there's, there's certain logistics that aren't realized. <clears throat> to me, this is an editing issue, as in like this is something that okay they've they, they've shot this sort of more or less linearly, and they know what they want to do, and then they realize it doesn't work the way it was intended, and now you have to make decisions, and all of a sudden you kind of sacrifice certain elements of logic, as in like where is this character now? Why is he not there? Where is he coming from? Like there is a sequence, for instance, where um, Tang Wei is going to a to a bank she just like ruins her documents with coffee and then she's supposed to infiltrate and position like a, a virus and all of a sudden hard cut she's back 
And I'm just like, okay, well, so what was the bank like next door? Or like, no, she took a taxi. It's just it just logistically, some some things don't make sense because you have to make sacrifices in order to keep the pay, pacing along. Otherwise, it just becomes boring because then you you essentially have to be back looking at Chris Hemsworth who looks at a screen and waits for a green light to come on. Right? It's just I yeah, I have a feeling that Is that the record was, button you mean? No, I, yeah, I can't remember what, what he was waiting for. But, or I'm joking, I'll make that. But, but, yeah, but it's just essentially like you're waiting for something for, for his computer to go, ping, we're in, right? It's just, yeah, it's not the same. I can mean, I could I could honestly take the same concept if just like instead of the hacker, put some, some guy with a nuclear warhead instead of Chris Hemsworth, give me James Bond and it would work because you could... Yeah, you could you could internalize this somehow and then just be on board with this, be on these guys' shoulders. Um, but you can't because everything just happens in a magical world of zeros and ones, and it, it just does not translate. You know, and with Michael Mann films, like Michael Mann wants this to be realistic. So um, when <laughs> when he lets us down in this regard, it's uh, it's sort of frustrating. That's that to me is the that's the big issue from what I understand actually with. Uh, Michael Mann wanting to put the nuclear plant hack uh, halfway into the film uh, because there is a point in the theatrical cut where uh, Chris Hemsworth and uh, some others, they go to the uh, site, which has melted down and everything is, is hot and they have to put their suits on, but they have just spent a week or so in LA probably. And it feels as if the, nuclear meltdown happened one or two days ago, but there has been a long time progression here. So there's, there's just elements that, that, that don't really work. And in other films, uh, you know, I'm willing to give this a pass. Uh, but the relationship with man is, trust me, this is an exciting world we live in and this is realistic and I'm going to, I'm going to take you there. And there, there's just various letdowns in, in black hat and in that regard. But see, this is yeah. this is where I have a problem with. So just just two seconds, just to respond to this, because then, <laughs> look, he wants this to be over realistic. He wants his films to be just about okay. Well, the action will speak for itself. Like the firefights will speak for themselves. The bank robberies will speak for themselves. And this doesn't speak for itself the way the, the way bank robberies do. And then you have to add shit on top of this. You have to put frosting all over this. So then you have to just ask the audience on top of the fact that you already just. Point blank, you asked them to 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 buy into this on the basis of realism. Now you have to tell me that well, Chris Hemsworth's character Hathaway, not only is he a, is he a nerd, he's also a he's also um, a jock. He he knows how to shoot guns, carry knives, and he's also just comfortable and en- entering like um, a nuclear plant that that had just had a meltdown. Um, it's just he's essentially James Bond. Now he's you're asking me both to buy this as a as an exercise in realism and an elevated suspend your disbelief James Bond picture where these people are superheroes. Just it's just they don't wear spandex. And it's just this is right. the, the sort of um, the grinding interface between these two is just what it's probably what just checks me out. And at the end of it, I'm just thinking like I'm, I'm watching, I have this sort of what I, th- I saw this called somewhere, the James Bond effect, as in you're watching people do shit that you don't care about, but you're happy they do it. And it's just, so, you know, it's just, I don't know. I can't, I can't relate to these people at all because they're not real. They're telling me they're, they're real, but they're, they're superheroes and they're superheroes in a, in a, in a weird way because they're so, they, they sort of just, like it's just like a normal thing for him like he just t- 
takes people out like it's nothing for him and he's just in prison for just i don't know um breaking into a bank or, or you know digitally it's ridiculous I do wonder how much of it is man's reliance on others to kind of create this world. Cause I assume he doesn't know much about coding, right? Like, and it's a mm-hmm. little bit more difficult than like understanding a bank heist, let's say. So obviously man would probably have to turn to others to like make it make sense. And I well, wonder how had... much of that disconnect comes in there. Oh, I he wonder had, like uh, he had the guy McKinley. He's like a famous hacker. Like, he had two people who were like supposedly sure. knew what they, what they were doing. Kevin Paulson. Um, yeah, it just yeah. feels to me like he bit off more than he could chew, and it really pays the price for that. It feels like he did not have a hand on the story or how this world operates or how these characters operate or who just like who they are. He just couldn't have a hand on it because he did not have a hand on the hacking aspect. So then the entire plot, kind of like a domino effect, falls because the foundation was weak. I mean, it's ultimately, like as you said, I think at the, at the top of the episode, right? When you say, um, he he can do this for Miami Vice. He can get in touch with like get his people to to reach out to some people who know uh, like uh, the Miami uh, sort of organized crime and get in the room with them and just okay. But you can relate to things like well, killing people is just killing people, right? So he, like he can relate to this on some other level. Um, whereas in this would be just like he would probably get hackers in the rooms like oh tell me what this is all about and they and they start telling him and they actually have to dumb stuff down for him as though they were talking to a five-year-old because he's just well he's out of his element and it kind of shows on screen because it's just not 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 it doesn't work as intended i don't think Do you know, the, the impression i get from all this is that michael mann read an interview well read an article in a newspaper about this case and and went to to check if anyone had a screenplay from it, uh, saw that Black Cat w- w- was on a, on a was on a blacklist. Um, oh, it, that but, way! <clears throat> but thought thought it was adequate and then shot it. I think that it's very much it's it's like what um, like what then, Randy said. It's it, like it, Die Hard it, Four, pretty much was. Yeah, it, 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 it well, I mean, the whole Die Hard with the Commando sequel as well. But I think it, 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 again, like Randy should be on it more because he's talking talk the most sense. It feels like. This is a director who, even by the, his own standards, is it's been is being despondent and, and almost like a dissonance of itself, where he's even forgetting to frame his own conventions in a way that he's an absolute must for the cinematic detail, and these are not there's not a substance of them here. Like he's even forgetting to sort of. You know, craft space and time in his in his in, in this film specifically, like what Randy said in LA, feel that they're there for like three fucking weeks, and and then everything else is rushed massively, um, and and it feels like the, these are very small but strong indications that this is not particularly the Michael Mann who is able to work over a screenplay, work over all the intricate details, and hone it hone his craft on, on a project he's created. It feels like he's trying to project his um, cinematic skill base on something that's not particularly built to, to, to take that way. Um, but the other thing that I read as well, which is slightly worrying, is that this shot in May 2013 and in November, Universal scheduled it for 2015. Um, that's, that's November incredibly... 2013. And they and scheduled it to be released in January. 2015 was it at the request of michael mann who decided like i need a year to edit this bitch i i, I don't <laughs> know but that that is incredibly worrying um mm-hmm. f- from anyone if, if if i was a producer yeah. on that film 
or if I if I was anyone who if I back back then if I had seen that that would be huge red flags. It kind of Two tells years, you that you know, like, even though there wasn't drama, I think there was a problem with putting this film together. Well, if you think about it in that way as well, Hemsworth is it sort of recontextualizes our, our approach of Hemsworth because it's not the Avengers at Age of Ultron Hemsworth that, that, that had shot this. It was he's the Avengers. <laughs> no, and no, yeah, he's the he, Avengers. He's, he's Thor, yeah, he's Thor Dark World, which uh, is quite is it even? Yeah, 20... 2013, yeah. 14. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. Well, he would, I think he would have shot uh, Thor. He would have shot this, the Thor Dark World. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. If, you've, if you've worked with Alan, Alan Taylor and you go into this to work with Michael Mann, I think that's very different. Not to shit on Alan Taylor, but um, sure. it's, a, it's a TV ideology where you have a certain amount of hours to shoot footage. You can't really work with character. You come in, it's on the page. You have to shoot in certain uh, conditions. Um, and I think that's the vibe that was put forward on the Thor film from what, what I've heard. Uh, and it wasn't able to take shape. That's what I've heard. And I think mm-hmm. if you go in with that mentality, then then Michael Mann wants to work with her. Perhaps that's more of a, an issue of where Hemsworth is trying to find substance and not being able to because the, he's just come off a piece that was um, uh, institutionalised to a way that, that, that would have ham- uh, hampered him. Uh, but, but that's giving Hemsworth more credit probably, but that's, that's maybe... Put so this went in. You, you said this went into production in 2013. It started to shoot in May 2013, and then in November they'd scheduled it for release of January of 2015. Yeah, that's interesting because I would wonder going in if they would think that well, possibly this could be an awards season release in 2014. So to this skip doesn't that have in, the energy for. Does it have the legs to be an awards season contender? No, I'm just well, wondering going in because it's got that seventy million dollar budget. Like, what are they? What are they thinking in terms of? It's a genre uh, film, so it's, it's kind of like I don't know. Carson, what's your well, opinion do, on this? You're the awards guy. I was just, I was just going to say before before Carson goes into it. I don't know if you were here for it, Carson, but I was, I was talking about. Um, there are, there are three things, three things in, in, in Michael Mann's repertoire where, you know. If, if you don't please the, the commercial success, you don't. You, there's there's an idea where there's an a, a, academy success that the, the universal that that did um, uh, public, public enemies as well, and and obviously they also did uh, Miami Vice. Uh, they sort of expect that if you're not going to bring a commercial success or a financial success, um, those are one of the hindrances that he's never really achieved. But uh, I don't know if you were here for that at all. Yeah. I was um <clears throat> just really quick can you give a recap because my audio my wi-fi is like going to shit and i didn't hear the question so what am i being asked um i was asked i was asking what you think about this because randy you, you mentioned oh this could be a kind of awards season this could have been a world season contender because of its 70 million dollar price tag that you know could possibly recoup on that and i'm saying this is a genre film and then don't, wouldn't possibly maybe have legs to be an, an awards season film what do you think about this being kind of belonging somewhere in the world sort of uh sort of q3 q4 i mean it doesn't necessarily 
it doesn't necessarily strike me as being a nice player. Um, not that it's impossible for genre to get in. I mean, this is around the time like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy made a play for it. Um, not like Man has even been that successful throughout his career. It's not like, oh, every, you know, you can count a nomination. His last nomination was what, 2004 for Collateral, I think. So, like, it's not yeah. like he is awards, you know, um, he's not a royalty darling. to where like genre would, because that's tends to be the thing is like genre doesn't really play well unless the name attached you can worship. That's the thing this year. It's like, well, James Cameron, like Eternals, right? Yeah. Sure. Everyone's like, oh, Eternals is going to get in. Like, because yeah they love her but it's like no like you if chloe joe was nominated for every single thing she made before sure but you need something like that you need some huge narrative to overcome genre convention and genre bias and i just don't see this film having that through man through the execution through the acting i yeah, really don't I see hear it. I, I don't see the place yeah i i hear you I, th- I think man is one of those guys sort of like ridley scott we, we've said it um if the right project comes along then the Academy t- could take notice. And I'm just wondering a year out if maybe they uh, thought at the end of Public Enemies and Public Enemies, they want they wanted to release that in, in the summer, I think, as some counter programming. Um, but that that had some Oscar spirit. Uh, so I just wondered if maybe on the investment side, well, one of the routes to some payback is to have a, you know, a decent award season, you know, end up on some top 10 lists and get some notoriety with the November, November, December release. Like, um, like, again, I'm looking at the price tag, like that's a phenomenal amount of money because yeah, it's, it's been said, you know, where's this going to play? Like, where's this going to get its payback considering that you need to make two and a half, three times that in order to, uh, make your money before it you know goes to streaming or video especially when you think okay two things on this um like in genre films like carson i I suppose unless it's like a sandal epic or like um so sword and sandal medieval epic or a biopic or a world war ii drama like usually you don't have a much of a way into the awards sort of conversation because uh, unless you're from a very respected if you're from like a scorsese yeah Uh, yeah i suppose but then like versus this year, I have a feeling like the last duel and both House of Gucci will probably make an appearance in the in the oh, conversation. Did you, did you right? say about World but, War Two? You said that if you don't, if you those unless it's a, unless it's a World War Two drama or like oh, a, or, or like a sorry. medieval epic or a sandal epic, like the Academy I you said the looks opposite, at. Yeah, I was like nineteen seventeen. I, like, yeah, I mean, there's I also yeah. yeah like, so like, let's be like clear, there's the Fugitive is probably like, like, a, like an outlier, right? When when it's just an action film, right? Or like the Silence of the Lambs is a horror film. Like these are these are sort of outliers like not rules right yeah i mean i think it's hard to judge something when like we've seen the results and it's so underwhelming because i definitely get Mm -hmm. like maybe it was the plan to do this narrative of oh we haven't really rewarded michael mann you push that narrative he can get in but also like this is also thanksgiving and christmas if you have a really engaging let's say thriller action whatever you want a heist film whatever you want to call it right Mm -hmm. during thanksgiving that's a big like market that you can get families in if you can engage audiences you make a mm-hmm. shit ton of money, whether or not it plays for awards. Yeah. I think the one thing that kind of bothers me about like pushing that is then like, why didn't it just release in Thanksgiving? Why, like, why push it to January where there's just like not even really I'll, a chance? I'll, for I'll, it. I'll tell you why, because it's boring. But countless <laughs> films that are absolute well, shit yeah. go out on Christmas <laughs> no, and Thanksgiving and just like <laughs> desperate for that. They showed it to test audiences and they knew this is shit. This is not working. 
And then you th- look at the price tag, and it's like you guys say, like 70 yeah. million. L- you look at the film and tell me it costs 70 million dollars based on how, how the film looks. It doesn't look 70 million dollars. Can we talk about that? Because I'm glad you brought it up. Because, yeah, because uh, Randy, Randy, Randy said it a few times. It, it, what, what sort of surprises me is that I think you can look at it both ways for 70 million dollars. I think you could you could say that this is squandered the money, but you could also say that for the inflation that two years earlier or three years earlier, Christopher Nolan made a Batman film for two hundred and fifty million dollars, two hundred and fifty million dollars, and this is seventy. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting that it's like the dawn of the the blockbuster the blockbuster sort of like director is that. Even if you give that money to an author, even if you gave Scorsese two hundred million dollars, I think those those directors still could not make the films that De- Denny Villeneuve makes and Christopher Nolan makes. But see, it's not. There's only one director who can do it, and mm. that's Ridley Scott. And yeah. I'm, I'm being serious. <clears throat> I don't. I don't think you you cannot give Martin Scorsese two hundred million dollars, and you and you could you could not. He could not make a film. I'm sorry, but he could not make a film. No, he will spend it on the cast. He will spend I, I don't, it. I, no, you look oh, yeah. at Gangs of New York. These these directors were built within a system that 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 used working blue collar ideologies like Coppola, like Scorsese, like De Palma, like Lucas. And then what happens is that very few of them go out with the money and are able to be visionaries in being able to deal with that with that concrete budget. Look at Gangs in New York with Scorsese. I remember that the article that that Lucas, like George Lucas, came to visit the sets and was like, "Why are you building these?" And he was like, "What do you mean? Why am I building? This is the set, George." And he's like, "You can just make this now on a computer." And Martin Scorsese was like, "No, no, stop, stop. Like we have to build." But, this. It, but if you take people from that generation and tell and and convince them that this is this can be done, then you get Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> so it's, it's essentially they're, they're, too, they're too old for this. <laughs> Do you think Scorsese with the Irishman tries to kind of I think it comes, reconcile I think that? It's fucking close. I think mm-hmm. it's really close. Because close. You, you, you can make you you can make the, the argument about the the the, the issues <laughs> of CGI in those films, and I think if you if you want to make that argument, I think the ammunition is there, really laid out for you. Uh, that film will not age gracefully because of that, but it had to be made at the time with those circumstances no, with, with, um, you can either do it like Richard Linklater style like, like the Irishman as a story the way he wanted to tell it would either involve heavy CGI heavy makeup or shooting it over the course of 30 years 30 years just getting together and shooting some scenes when, when appropriate like Buckingham no, Boyhood <laughs> so, no, because, you know. because, because, no the ideology of the films are different the Irishman is about old men reconciling mm-hmm. with their own past whereas Boyhood is about a young man Earning, earning his stripes in, in, in this world through through cinema, through through an interesting um, cinematic corpus, let's say. But um, I, I just going back to the point, I think again to the Robert Zemeckis thing. I think there's very few directors who, who are able to work with the little amount of money and craft something very, very big. I think I think it just it unravels to something like the battleship with Peter Berg. He's a very best, he's a director who, who works better on the likes of the kingdom and, uh, you know, lone survivor than he does on those films. Um, I, I think Michael Mann is a director who even with 70 million, I think you, I, excuse me, again, you could say that he squanders that money, but anymore. And I, I don't know what that money goes on. I seriously have no idea. Uh, and, 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 
I can't I can't really a think few it's explosions, on the I suppose, right? <laughs> but but you I mean know, it's a bit like Shyamalan, yeah. I guess, isn't it? Like not to fully like throw gas on the fire, not to get in the Shyamalan debate. That's all right. No, he's, he's our, just he's like in Shyamalan. <laughs> like when he has a restrained budget, he makes and he creates brilliant art like glass, which I think we all four agree is art is a masterpiece. As soon as you give him a bigger budget, it goes to shit normally. Well, yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. But man is this. from just to echo what you guys said. Man is from the '70s generation. Like he was just getting started then. I think with Jericho Mile, but um, but still, he's from that generation. I liken him a lot to Friedkin. And one thing that Friedkin said once, he said that back in the '70s, if you wanted to do something big, you got a ton of money. You went out and you did something big. So you take mm-hmm. these trucks and you pull them across a, them in a rickety spring yeah. bridge and you, yeah, you take them yeah. to the jungle there to begin with. Like you do big stuff. You go to locations that have, you know, uh, these villages with hundreds of people and you bring them out for scenes. Like you do big stuff. And, and that's just Michael Mann. Uh, I, I think that's the ideology he works with in, in a way following the little packets of data with a couple of CGI uh, segments. That's, that's new territory for him really, because mm-hmm. I, I think a 70 million is, is right there on in the locations and yeah. taking his crews there. But see, this is what, this is where the budget went as in like, it's yeah. a globe trotting espionage throughout. So you have to send people to China, to Jakarta, to LA back and forth in, into various locations in the world costs money. And then at the end of it, I suppose you have to then, if, you, if you're staging some kind of a finale, you have to hire 4,000 extras. I don't know, secure a bunch of, uh, a yeah, bunch of space. Scale, though. Yeah, like it's not but that it, expensive. But see, like it costs money, but it doesn't translate to the viewer. Like it doesn't look flashy. Like none of it looks flashy if you think about it. Like it's kind of like. I think it goes on tax as well. I think the tax issues are, are quite. Oh, big yes. <laughs> but no, but in terms of like, okay, if you look at this film and you tell me this is a blockbuster, like it doesn't translate. It doesn't look big. It doesn't look ambitious. Oh, I think, oh, I think Carson's Wi Fi just went to shit. Yeah. Okay, um, let's, hope he, let's hope he comes back. No, but it just doesn't... I, I don't know, like, I look at this film and I'm like, I, I don't know, like, I, I read reviews and like yesterday I read a few reviews and then it's just like people basically just say it, it's boring and you know, it has these sort of things like the man just def- defaults to, like there's going to be a firefight somewhere here, there's going to be a chase, there's going to be a suspenseful sort of infiltration se- sequence. They all work, but they don't... It, this film doesn't have its own heartbeat as, as far as I'm concerned. You know, dude. Speaking on the seventy million dollar budget, I, I'm trying to think what what else is, is is does that budget get you? Like, I think it's again we'll, we'll probably compare apples to oranges here, but I'm just thinking of like what does seventy million dollars get you? Because they're talking about now in Hollywood that they don't make the fifty million dollar film anymore. I mean, it has to be mm-hmm. something under right. ten million or something over a hundred million, or at least two hundred million. Let's say. So yep. this is a time and an era, let's say, bygone and six six years ago, granted seven or eight actually when they started filming but i'm just trying to think what does 70 million dollars get you then and what does it get you now yeah because I, I i because i i i, I fail to really see where 70 million gets you now i think it gets you something very very small very very small. I, i'm trying to think of a a current film that might be a 70 million dollar film because you're right it's either brand name ips uh, and those are, you know, 100 million to 250 million, or, or you're looking at 20 million safe projects, horror, 
uh, you know, something with a, a bit of a quick hook. Um, but you know, uh, I don't know what a $70 million film is. I don't have the current well, box just, office in front of me. To just, to, just, to just put it in perspective, right. And not to f- put fuel in the fire, the, the 2016 Ghostbusters re- remake was a $150 million budget. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well then that, that, that's, the, that's the problem, right? Because this is the stuff that, um, like pretty much everyone now talks about if you if you ask them on like podcasts or whatever this is everyone bangs on about this that mid budget entertainment has gone away and it's either yeah. massive marvel productions for 200 million plus or indie micro budget shit that's on a crowdfunding budget even like it, um and and occasionally you'll get the 20 million dollar something unless on, on well only on the, under the proviso that it's like scorsese or someone that there's a name attached to it so like <laughs> Honest to God, like Black Hat wouldn't have been made today on this b- budget, and it wouldn't be made at all without Michael Mann's name attached to it, even even in 2015. Because you were unless it's unless it's targeting a streaming service, but like you say mm-hmm. too, on a much smaller budget. Yeah, and it would and it would have shown as well. It's just it's just mm-hmm. it's just odd. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very weird landscape we live in. And I, and on top of that, I have a thing. This is something I kind of wanted to kind of ask you guys as well. I have a thing that this film is like in terms of thematics, in terms of what it tries to say. It's two, ten years too late almost because the sort of surveillance conversation. That's the sort of Bush era conversation. It yeah, should but, have but, been but, like two thousand seven. We we spoke about this before. Where, um, I can't remember what podcast specifically, but. Um... Art imitates life after a certain um, subconscious uh, intoxication, where you have you have a, an era of people who live it, and then it subconsciously comes out in, in artistic forms. Um, I think I think this is probably when you say ten years too late. Uh, it's probably just probably bang on time. I think it's a late to the conversation because it's been saturated. I think the early two thousands. I think any of the state and stuff like that. You have. NSA these conversations <clears throat> um, listed in the media, yeah. and granted they, they come back here so so far uh, with Chelsea Manning and and, and the the, the whistleblowers. When, with, when was with, the Snowden? Uh, when 20, 2012, 2013. I suppose, uh, yeah, it, it would have been timely based on that. I suppose, right? Yeah, and and, and I think I think <clears throat> I just think the conversation is very burnt out, which is a detriment probably to the uh, to the media landscape more so than a, than than what should be should be held, but. Um, I don't. I don't really agree with the ten-year thing. I think the themes. I think you're right. I think it's it's can be made more atmospheric and cinematic ten years ago. But if if something like if, if Tony Scott makes it or Michael Bay, but I, this film doesn't doesn't want to tread those certain topics. I think it wants to have a lot more uh, brevity with it. And I think I, I think it, it it's it's probably at the right time to have that conversation but i just don't think that the filmmaker is quite right in adapting the material because i think it can be done i, I like 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 uh, what randy said about it feels like it's it's a filmmaker trying to f- like form his steps almost but but it's it's um it's a a formulated director who we know to be credibly well established within within the medium so it has like this really oxymoron relationship where it's like um i think it's, it'll be like a weird like steven spielberg making West Side Story we're going to see later either this year or next year imagine hopefully not at all but it feels like we're going to watch a a really grounded renowned filmmaker retread within a cinematic medium I think that's interesting I I, I think I think as an an experiment is very interesting but Spielberg will have another shot whereas Michael Mann 
seemingly won't, and that's probably where I'm more upset. Just for just to clarity as well, um, do you know the third uh, Night at the Museum film? I haven't seen a single one of them. That, that's a <laughs> I... that's a hun- that's a hundred and twenty-eight million dollar budget. Really? Yeah, and that's a year before. I believe it. that. Yeah, uh, I two, believe year, that. two years before it. Do you, do you know the internship with uh, Vince Vaughn and yeah. and Owen Wilson? That's sixty million dollars. Yeah, but it's it's, it's essentially uh, two people in a room, right? Yeah, but that's what I, I think. I think we might be. I think I think seventy million for Black Cat is actually a steal if you think about it. Then. Well, it's a steal, and then you can say if 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 they paid like Chris Hemsworth peanuts and everyone took n- nothing in salaries, then ba- they basically spent it mostly on plane tickets. I th- yeah, I mean the only the only film I can and think hotels. about D- date night was fifty five million. The the only film I can think about which was um, a big blockbuster that was made on very little money uh, was um, Pacific Rim, if I remember rightly. Oh. No, hold on. How much Pacific? Oh, it, it, I think I think it was a lot cheaper than uh, people think it was. Hundred ninety. Yeah, well, no. it's, it's a big, it's a big film, and it was a flop too. We should probably do it at some point. Yeah, I'm not going to be on that. I don't, I don't <laughs> like those films. No, let's see. <laughs> this is something that you know, like, a young director. Like when when we talked about the uh, Peter Jackson thing, and we talked about Neil Blomkamp as a sort of uh, a follow up on this. Like young directors can take can turn fifty million dollars into into looking like hundred and fifty because they innovate because they 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 don't they don't know any other way like they they don't know how to solve problems with money right and then I don't know like, I just want to see what Danny Villeneuve is maybe already a bit too old like who would be the sort of like this thirty seven year old guy who's just on the precipice of greatness in Hollywood in terms of like genre filmmaking. Oh. Ryan Coogler? James Wan? <laughs> yeah, James, oh, Wan so, James Wan's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chazelle, maybe? I mean, Chazelle, mm. someone, so, yeah. Not, he's not the genre guy, but. No, know, in terms eight. of someone who doesn't know that they can spend money, right? <laughs> what about Derek? Um, I can't remember pronounce his last name. He made. Uh, it's called Derek. Uh, no, 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 not Scott Derrickson. Uh, Derek, is it Sir of France? Oh, he Derek Sian France. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, a very interesting one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be interesting to to see because it's I don't know for a film this size you either have to either just okay if you want to go real then okay well you need to you need to you need to innovate somehow or just put a bunch of explosions in there because this is basically the alternative like when you think think about this if you take the if you take Batman away from the from from this from the Dark Knight this is essentially the same movie. Right, I mean, not not in terms of plots, but there's it's a globe trotting th- thriller that you have to go into multiple locations. There is a plot going on. There is a conspiracy somewhere. Um, so conceptually, you could say they're very there's there's a similar building blocks kind of just around Black Hat as as they are around like I don't know, The Dark Knight sort of film. What, what, costs, what was like, your question? Did you say what the who was a director who could be afforded the same amount of money mm-hmm. like this? Yeah, and then turn it Scott, and, and make and make it cook. Make it not boring. <laughs> I think Scott Cooper's an interesting one. I like Scott Cooper. We were speaking about it off air. Uh, uh, yeah, we were talking about yeah because it's before Randy. I think uh, Black Mass is the same year, and that's fifty-eight million. I think it's with the CGI it's biopic, that's on there. Right? <laughs> yeah, but 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 I think there's a, there's a, a filmmaker there that's. 
Oh, how much did I, I, John, Johnny Depp bag on this? Probably 20 out of the 50 yeah. went to Johnny <laughs> yeah. Depp. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, but that, it's another film, actually. It's weird we, we bring that up because if you think about that, that's um, is that also universal? Or is it 20th well, Century Mass. Fox? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. No, it's Warner Brothers. It's Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers in the US. Right? But that's very similar. It's, it's, a, it's a, a director <clears> that was a price tag that doesn't have great commercial success, but he's hoping that gets the Academy Award nomination. And if I'm right, I'm pretty sure it did, didn't it? Didn't it get a nomination? No, it didn't get anything. No, no, no. no. It was a. It was, I don't know. It was critically kind of panned. No, no. I think uh, it did quite well. Uh, I, think I think it was just it, sort of middling. Even. Yeah, I think it broke. I think even, people people I think... liked the performance of of Johnny Depp. I have a feeling that it was kind of like the whole thing. The film as a whole was kind of like meh. But no, I, 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 but I don't should, know. It's I been a while. That's an uncut gem. That's an uncut gem. Really? Hostiles is the one. That's like a masterpiece. I've well, seen Hostiles. Oh, well, well, Randy, you'll you'll love that. Okay. It has really? one. It ha- we, 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 you you should watch that, and we should do it because it has one of the most misunderstood final scenes in cinema. It's so effective. Well, he made like how many da- films? Dark Shadows was one hundred and fifty million dollars. Okay. Yeah, I can't. I, yeah, I can believe. But then again, it's probably sets and makeup alone probably cost a lot. Oh, no, <laughs> uh, no. In, in terms of like, okay, well, the, it's just housekeeping sort of situation. Like the guy made Crazy Heart, Out of the Furnace, Black Mass, Hostiles, and Antlers. Now, so he made four films. We so might as well just do a clapper retrospective on this <laughs> and put it on Patreon. Like, uh, hostiles, Hostiles <laughs> is really, really, really good. Um, but, but I just wanted to ask you because we've all seen both versions of the film. And I know, I know that Carson had only seen the, the theatrical cook, so it'd be interesting to get both your points on this. So we've we've all seen the theatrical, and we've both seen the, the all seen the director's cut. Yeah. I'm I think I think we all agree that both versions are not particularly great. Let, but I, I want to put it out there just just to ask you both: Do you think, if given the time, do you think that there is a masterpiece or or a great film within the lines of this running time if a third attempt was given i don't think so i i I think the plot pieces are are too cluttered and i i i think that a a lot of suspension of disbelief is thrust upon the the audience to buy into this partnership uh especially in the director's cup especially when they're starting with the stock exchange being hacked like why is China there as a partner to figure this out, right? So um, there's there's just a lot of moving pieces here that uh, that need to be fixed, honestly, on on the plot side. And I, I think in terms of the emotional weight, you might, you know, you might you might get a better performance from another actor, which would be a big help. Um, you know, make make it easy to overlook uh, some of some of Hemsworth's uh, shortcomings and limitations. Um, but still, I, I think plot as is, uh, I think this is a really clunky bit. I think the villain could be a bit better too. Like, re- I'm sort Brendan of okay Gleason. with... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you said that. <laughs> what... he's, he's in uh, the, the Fincher one, isn't he? The, yeah, the girl with the drunk tattoo. The, the girl, yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, he's in both oh, he's, of them, is he's he? The, um, yeah, he, oh, is it? He's the parole he, officer. He's the scumbag, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he, yeah. he gets, he gets uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that, but yeah, he's, on, he's in both. He's in the Swedish version. And, and okay. The as well. uh, 
So, but he's underwhelming here, really. I'm, I'm okay with mm-hmm. leaving your villain mysterious for a long time, but uh, really, at the end of the day, uh, he doesn't do anything for me. And the the climax, which we haven't talked about, I honestly feel is a mess. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot has to be fixed here. I think to uh, make a make a decent go of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I agree with you, um, Randy. I think. I, I agree with you on, on mostly every point. I, I think Sadler, he, even even if he made it more esoteric, he, he made it more sort of meditative, and, and there was there, there was an order of brooding atmosphere. I still think you've got really rotten ingredients. I think I think you're right. I think the screenplay is really poor. I think whatever you do with structure, it isn't working because there's just no emphasis on on being immersed or caring about about the character i think i think i think hemsworth is miscast um, i think that it, it, that core relationship with, with a female character is so incredibly forced it's it's almost um a, again a, a red flag um i think if if he had a third attempt i think he probably would end up the same but mm-hmm. i agree with you about the about the villain very quickly as well i don't mind an enigmatic villain i think I think that's the James Bond formula. I think you, you could have an en- enigmatic villain that, that, that's, that, that ultimately crafts mysterious um, uh, sentiments or, 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 or an ultimate plan, but you still have to have a substance there. I think, you know, when, when you see these evil people on screen, I, I, you know, I think I think one is is an interesting idea is, is the villain in Watchmen. The, the, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but not not the uh, the TV show, the the Alan Moore uh, Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, well, no, not that. I mean, like, uh, like uh, Ozymandias. I think it's a very interesting thing where you have a very enigmatic character that you don't know a lot about, but you have a really horrible uh, manifest- manifesto, and that's the substance to it. That 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 broods so much more detail in the character without them actually saying it, because the the crimes are so horrific that it really sort of justifies the way underneath the character. Um, without having to sort of fucking constantly give these 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 flat bits of of weight to to, to a villain, um, it reminds me of the same issue that's in the new James Bond film. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Randy. So I won't spoil it, but yeah. it's feel, it feels very whoop, whoop, whoop. no 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 no. I, I, I won't spoil it. I, I won't spoil I've, it. I've avoided your Patreon uh, chat about yeah. it too. Yeah, don't don't, don't please don't listen uh, if you haven't seen it. We spent it's, it's, forty five minutes trying to hypothesize who's going to be the next James Bond. Come on, it's a, it's yeah, a good show. I mean, we, we must we must spend, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be too bad. To, uh, I think you 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 need you need a good uh, what's that? Him and Brendan Gleeson coming back as well wouldn't be too bad. Oh Jesus! Um, but but I think we had the same issue with Rami, Rami Malek where you just don't have any direction. You don't have any substance. And you have a, a final piece of the, the, the film where they come together like Black Cat and you just think you have this spectacle, but it's just you're just watching something and it's like, am I expecting something more here? Because yeah. I, I, I really like the actor. I think the actor is very, very accomplished. But um, even in these monologues feel flat, they just feel like so <laughs> underwhelming. And, and how, right. how it feels like, it, again, like... I, you get to that point. You get you you get to actually see this 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 enigmatic villain. You get you put a face to it, and I think that can be slightly underwhelming as well. But you have this like weird final fight, this this hand hand combat that feels out of place. I don't know. It, it just feels very uh, right. because you know what what, what else do you want? Like a hack off? <laughs> like do you want them to kind of just sit at, at computers in a different sort of 
parts of the world and just type at in, like, no, at no, Jacob. No, but the, think of the, think of thematic here, right? <clears throat> These two people are have been in contact with each other through um, technology, through phones, through computers. They, they they have a conversation through technology, and the irony is at the end when it comes down to it, they have to be face to face. There's a really interesting conversation to have there, or at least a thematic, and the film wastes that. After all the pain one these characters have, have caused or, or inflicted upon each other or to others through actions of, of, of crimes via technology, they have this really strange coming together where I think with an, another interesting director could possibly have brewed something different, but you, you, he just doesn't do anything with it. They just have a hand-to-hand combat. And there's no, there's just no <laughs> yeah. atmosphere on it. Really. Oh, there's do you know what no this should have been? Consequence. Put full hundred percent realism. This should be two nerds. They're slightly overweight, and they should have a really pathetic, hand, like hand to hand sort of like fist fight. Then he's like, eh, just like slap each other because they shouldn't know how to fight. There shouldn't be any knives or guns in there. This should be just two nerds duking it out, just <laughs> like in a very pathetic and embarrassing way. Like it's just. I don't know. It just feels wrong. It feels like okay. Well, we need a Hollywood ending in here, and I, 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 I really appreciate the concept of the like three thousand people marching, and I, I read the visuals of them going counter stream, and then although like I, I don't understand how these people don't panic. They're just like, oh, it's just these people are killing one another. Move on, right? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've got a ton of issues uh, around that as well um but i'm with i'm with jack i like the idea that after everything that's gone on and the miles and miles and miles between them that they they do have to have that face to face that that works but uh the whole finale is such a a a squandered element I, i don't know if they set up that festival or if they just intruded on it and just shot but the the whole thing is a mess and like you say Jakob, like people are being stabbed and uh held at gunpoint like after and you've a while got, <laughs> yeah and you've got hundreds of people just walking <laughs> on by holding their torches you know not noticing this i guess is normal um it's not until yeah. there's a, a gunshot until yeah. There's Even a bit after, of chaos. a few seconds after, it's just oh, there's a gunshot. Ah, who cares? Let's do this. Oh, there's a guy dead. Okay, yeah, we so should run now. <laughs> right, and sometimes I, I have a bit of an issue sometimes with uh, a recklessness and a, a carelessness with uh, creating chaos when the protagonists and antagonists create chaos in public, and then they just walk away from it as if nothing happened. And suspension of disbelief, you know, I I, I can deal with that in you know, a, a big action movie or, a, you know, a CGI fair or sci-fi. Uh, but, but in a man film, I, I don't buy that. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think that uh, this whole chaotic ending in the middle of this festival, I, I think it's inappropriate. And when you have the characters, the climax happens, the denouement happens, there's no consequences to anything. So I, I think there's another element where the, the the plot has just lost sight of itself, where it was going, and you know you've got this faux hook with these uh, this relationship with uh, uh, Tang Wei and Chris Hemsworth, and that's what we walk away with. And uh, all this has happened, and there's there's just there's no denouement or consequences or, or dealing with any aftermath. Like we lose 
Holt McCallany and Viola Davis. They're gone. Yeah. The American interests are gone. <laughs> um, you know? see, see here, like now, I've been thinking about this this whole time as in like, we've, we've talked about this already, that there's a strong connection between this film and uh, Miami Vice. I have a feeling, that especially when you think about the ending, say how the film kind of concludes, okay, there's this big fight and then it kind of scales scales down to this being a relationship thing. So we need to escape from this. So it's basically like Colin Farrell taking Gongli and it's just like, let's, let's, let's run away from, from here. I don't care, right? Because, um, but you're scaling down from something tactile. From here, you're scaling down from... Uh, yeah, as you say, it's from a ridiculous sort of overblown set piece that doesn't even translate its scale that well. It translates it in a in a sort of very moody way initially, and then it just loses its its plot because it's it essentially boils down to two hackers actually having to go, which is an interesting concept. Like, okay, it has to be a a, a, a hand like this has to be a face off, right? Because there, there's some, there's only so so little that uh, zeros and ones can accomplish. At some point, you have to put a knife in someone, right? Which is an interesting thing, but um, it scales down to this thing, and, and I think the entire ending. I think it was in the director's. I'm not sure if it was in the theatrical cut. How how you see them going through the airport, and you see it through the cameras. Um, okay, well, that still the themes of surveillance are of surveillance are there. But it's kind of just very small, and you and you realize that this this is supposed to be a film about about these pe- these two people finding each other in a con- in 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 a crisis, but it doesn't translate well either. It's kind of like this sort of the the romantic interest between the, these two people is almost under uh, almost unexplored, whereas in something like Miami Vice, it becomes a central focal point of the story. Because these two characters are kind of made of flesh and blood, and these uh, I don't think they're fleshed out in the same way in this script either. Which essentially kind of brings me back to say, saying that this film has a massive screenwriting issue. Do you know what? One thing that upsets me about this film, but actually more talking about, generally pisses me off, is that there's a, there is a thematic thread throughout this film that there there is go, there's going to be a confrontation, not only literally but about the. Um, about consequence of action that these people, and I said it before, but um, we were talking about the ending with Randy, that that these people are going to come together and they are two people from, from the same sort of tree, uh, they branch off, that they've made decisions that via technology and harmed others and harmed infrastructure. And they've, 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 they've killed people, um, and, but they've done it through a passive way of, of their, their technology, let's say. So the, the villain has, has done terrorist attacks, brought down a nuclear power plant. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, I think, is an interesting one where he, he's, he's, he's taken money from people. They've, they've done crimes. I think there's a really interesting thread here that at the end, they have to physically take consequence of action of, 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 trying, of having to harm someone and the weight of that. And I think, I, think I, I don't think it has to be arrested solely on the villain. I think you, you can get away with that. That, that he he may be more subscribed to the theory of, of, of you know you being able to use guns and stuff, but like you said, Jacob, and I know we made a joke about them flapping their arms, but I think there's actually a, a weight there where you could have Chris Hemsworth wrestle with the idea that he has to take a gun to that meeting and he has to put a bullet in that person and he has to take the life from him, and I think it, it feels like you, you've got one one element of him finding love with this woman. 
and he ha- having uh, putting his criminal past behind him, but also that he knows he has to make this decision of if he wants to stop this person because he knows the power that he can do with a computer. Because he has this really good monologue about that that everything online is fleeting. After this, it disappears, it vanishes. And I think that with with the ideology of him putting a bullet within him and 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 stopping it and and coming to terms with that there's 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 a physical response of crimes as well as just online and you have to take responsibility for that i think this film utterly fails at even bringing that out and again like you have you have him with the books there and i think you have a really strong element of believability like randy said but then they're shooting everywhere and the guy just walks off when he, when he shoots the guy in the shoulder i'm just sat there and thinking like this is not a Michael Mann film. Now we've gone into we've gone into Michael Burr here. We've gone into someone who's trying to make action and not believable action. We've, I would expect Michael Mann to pick those up and really thread to just bottom out. And and the ending feels so like I, why do I like he's running off? He's running off with this woman, and they're going to go off the grid. And like, am I meant to feel compassion for that? Like, I, I feel nothing for these two at all. At least with him. Him, him, him having to kill this person, he's going to have to live with it. So there's a bittersweet irony of them running off into the into the unknown. Very much. We can like feel for him because she lost her brother. Yeah, yeah, but again, the film takes no time to sort of demonstrate that either. Zero. But she think, has to get over yeah. it in five minutes or less. Yeah, but I, th- I think them <clears> running off in the distance, but the way of him knowing what he's done, I think that's a really interesting character study where. You know, there's an oxymoronic relationship that he's free, but really inside he's he's made a decision that he has to take accountability for internally. It's that difference between doing it online and not having a presence. Like we're, we're looking at this troll nature, this 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 hiding behind uh, keyboard warriors, hiding behind a screen. You know, sometimes these people, when, when they have to do actual fact, these actual scenarios, they crumble. And I think mm-hmm. there's an interesting conversation to have there. But again, this film's not really ready for that. And I think it's it's not done by a, a director who understands the substance to a degree where he could have a really interesting comment about, about internet um, uh, do's and not do's and don'ts, but the 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 ultimately the recipe of it, the the, the ideology it's a, it's behind a sort of the veil of um, yeah, I suppose the the veil the, the idea of okay, well then this stuff on the internet doesn't matter because at the end of the day, if you want something done, you actually have to go and use your hands. Exactly. Um, yeah. But see, this idea that you mentioned, this this could have worked, say, hypothetically, if, okay, if Chris Hemsworth is just a hacker, all he does is just, he puts in characters on, on uh, he types on a keyboard and ma- makes stuff happen. And the other guy does the same thing only to a malicious sort of extent. Yeah. But, and then, if he hadn't been able to use a gun before, if we if we haven't hadn't been led to believe that he's some kind of a super spy, and then now he has to he, he has to pick up a gun or a knife and then do finish the job manually himself. This would have had some more gravity to it. I that's, think that's exactly my point. That's my yeah. point. Yeah, that's exactly my point. But it's quant- But then it's a it's a it's a lose lose because if they don't get, make Chris Hemsworth a um, a super spy then the film's even more boring because then you're just watching people type. <laughs> no, 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 because there's a vulnerability more to that character, isn't there? Because in those firefights, especially when, when we're on the docks, that becomes far more intense because he cannot save himself and he cannot save those around him. 
So when, when his when, when his friend gets shot, when he's get when his girlfriend's brother gets shot, it gives a more vulnerable nature to it because he cannot do anything. So him him peeing that gun and thinking that's the responsibility he's got to take, I think they add a lot more depth to that character, if done well, of course. Yeah. Go ahead. And if Hemsworth is hanging back fifty feet watching as opposed yes. to engaging with it, right? Like if yeah, mm-hmm. like there's potential there there. Um but it's this idea we've been talking about that this this film is drifting into action territory and Hemsworth has to, you know, meet the challenge and that's all he can do, but it, it's not just not a good fit. Yeah. yeah, and I also, I think fundamentally it's not that film as well, which is sad because mm-hmm. I don't think there's, an, there's, not, <laughs> there's not a frame in here that this film that we're describing either, which is even more tragic. It's so far apart from that. Um, I think, again, going back to your point, Randy, about the, the two are different edits, I don't think you can salvage this film into the film we want it to be. And, and I think that's, that's I think <laughs> that'd be a prelude to the end of thoughts here. But um, I, just, I, I think that's, I think that's exactly it. That the film that we want, or not even necessarily expect, because I think that might be too ego- egotistical, but at least would come to, I'll just say come to expect, I'll say, I'll say that, I think that's fair enough. Uh, especially you, Randy. I think, I think you speak more more highly for that as well. That you come to expect this film from Michael Mann, and it and uh, it very much fails on even the conventions of his of his own idiosyncrasies. But Jacob, you you never answered the question. Do you think there's a? Do you oh, think there's um, a... I don't. I I totally agree with both of you. I don't think there is yeah. a masterpiece hiding in here at all. I think this film is conceptually flawed in in that. I mean, I, I still kind of hold on. I, it may feel like I'm a broken record, but I feel like you don't. You can't. I don't. I don't think it is possible, um, or Michael Mann would, would with with this material that you already have, with with the footage that they've shot and the story that they have to make hacking cinematic on a, to the same or to a similar extent like bank robberies or or stuff like this that he's handled before. I don't think there's a film of that nature in here. I don't think there's a film that's propulsive enough to kind of keep you engaged, mm-hmm. and I don't. I don't think there's a film in here that um kind of says what smuggles enough underneath its its narrative to actually can kind of keep you thinking about this as as you kind of emerge from the film because it doesn't really it kind of disengages you halfway through so you don't even think about what's going on you think about what what's for dinner like it's I, yeah I, I think this is a this is a loose <laughs> situation because it, it it knows it won't it needs it needs action to kind of keep people interested but it can't do this uh, by being realistic and then however you slice this footage it nothing good's going to emerge it, it's polishing a tad and then and then you can't yeah it's no I, well, I, I also i also think as well that if, if this is the if this was his director's cut if he had final cut on the theatrical version he did and and the the i'm not, not going to call the other version of director's cut because i don't think it is i think it's it's an alternate version of the film if he's just moving scenes around and showing alternate scenes that would that would incline to me that there's not much footage left available. I think everything that's shot is in that film. I think so. I think, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't, think any, I don't think we'll, yeah. we will see. Something I mean, the else. director's cut is slightly better. I'll put it this way. I've, I've found I found more pleasure not, yeah. watching it because it kind of like makes more sense conceptually. Uh, starts with a great then, sequence, the... and then some. Some of some things are kind of just shortened, just about right. So, so you don't spend too much time in like the helicopter with them. Um, there are certain scenes that are just kind of just removed for pacing, I think. And I think it's so you, 
You think it helps the fluidity of the film then? Well, as much as it can, but I don't think it, it solves the issue. I don't think this is all of a sudden just... I, yeah, like when, when you think about like between this director's cuts of Miami Vice and this, uh, uh, and there there is no market difference in here that kind of just adds depth to the film. It's basically, mm-hmm. tra- it, it's literally just someone doing damage control and saying, this film didn't work. I need to make it work. How about we uh, rearrange the chairs on the on the deck and see if it works? And then it, uh, I don't think it does. So yeah. And by the way, I've been messaging with um, Carson, and Carson's Wi-Fi is completely dead. <laughs> so yeah, he's not he's right. not coming back. Okay. I think he, I out think of curiosity, Jack. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what uh, which version did you prefer? <clears throat> do, do you know, Randy? I. I, I... I honestly, there's no fundamental difference. I think, I think the, I was so disappointed with the theatrical experience of it. I think to, to watch any sort of form of it being new is, is going to be inherently interesting for me to watch. So I probably would gravitate towards this alternate version. But, but really, and I think you, you might agree with me, there really isn't much that of a difference here. I think it is really just one small instance of structure and fluidity where it cuts down smaller. But mm-hmm. the fundamental issues of the yeah. film, there's no difference. I, I think both of them are, are from the same root. The same this is not Alien 3, yeah. let's put it this way. Yeah, right? yeah yes. it's, it's, it's details. Um, I, I probably would lean towards the theatrical. Um, wow. Well, largely because I think it starts with what's a terrorist attack on Chinese soil. And that, to me, validates uh, uh, mm-hmm. Lee Holmes' involvement uh as opposed to starting on the stock floor in Mm -hmm. chicago now there are benefits to to both now mind you ultimately neither really work as we've been saying but uh with the uh this this alternate cut i think what you get is uh, a much better build you don't see hemsworth until about 18 uh, 16 minutes or something into it and i think that allows the fbi and the chinese liaison bit to work and it sort of does in that version, so I will I will give the the new cut that. But I think at the end of the day, it's it doesn't make sense unless there's a no, terrorist yeah. attack in China. I know, so. I know. It's like in terms of like logic, it doesn't make sense. But I, but you know, there's one massive uh, plus to the director's cut, the new cut to me that they removed the push-ups. There is no one doing push-ups in the cell, and I'm just like, I'm. Thank God. <laughs> it's just. Uh, anyway, I have a feeling that we've reached the end of our, in the end of the end of the road in here because I. Okay, I, I, I just want. Can I ask one more question? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was just wondering as well because because Randy keep, uh, keeps on mentioning. I think it's. I think it's something we should talk about. Do you think this would be a more exciting film for Michael Mann to 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 really just predominantly discuss the, the Chinese aspect to it. So to, to look at how that as a country would would look at these attacks and look at look at it from a Chinese protagonist and antagonist. Do you think that would be more interesting than what you get? Because I don't think that the the the, the traveling nature to it, the let's say exotic locations, really justifies the, the, the screenplay as well. I think more often than not, um, yeah, really just hollow um, hollow structures in the background that don't really do anything thematically or you know literally um, I think it would be a really interesting film for him to just shoot in Shanghai like a heat in Shanghai um, 
But then, but then what, what kind of story are we telling then? That's a different movie. No, no, right? no I, think, I think you can have the same story, but I think you just take Hemsworth out and you, you have a Chinese um, protagonist who is working for the government, has a sister who works in the US. Um, they have a rocky relationship. I don't think you even need Hemsworth as a main actor and you still have the villain. Um, I think that's an interesting story to have. I just think, I think Randy's right. I think it feels like a forced to create an American protagonist and, and, and why, like, I, I, again, like why, 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 would the, why would a Chinese government official go to a friend who worked, who, who's locked up in a U.S. prison system to help them out? Like, it just feels it's, really strange. It's, it's all forced and, and weird. And, you know, maybe there is some logic to it if something as extreme as a terrorist attack on a nuclear plant happened. Well, well, yeah. the, the logic is because um, he wrote the code. Uh, it was his code that, yeah, that was used in the mean, nuclear plant, right? And then, but the, uh, well, and I suppose, and in the director's cut, it makes little sense whatsoever, anyway. But the idea would be, okay, well, I mean, I like the con- the concept of, okay, well, then, you, but you have to then lean towards something else in the film because then you don't lean towards some sort of surveillance and stuff like this. You then lean towards the idea of you have um, a villain trying to undermine the status quo, the global status quo, and then you have. Two people working for two 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 um, hostile governments to one another to prevent the, vi- the the villain from starting a conflict between these two superpowers, for instance, right? Um, that would be an interesting story, and that but still essentially turns into a James Bond film. And you could I yeah. don't know, yeah, but it would be yeah, it would be a different film. It would be a different story, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to lean somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the best version of this story probably has the Chris Hemsworth character on a computer as a supporting player, as opposed to the lead. Agreed. Completely. 110%. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best $5 million ever spent, right? Like just put Chris Hemsworth <laughs> in the room. <laughs> I think. <laughs> in in post production and get him in, get him in. That's where like your $17 million comes from. It's like one of those things. Like, imagine seeing this, and you see, you say to yourself, like, why? Like, it's like Prometheus. Like, why is why do I, why do I why am I looking at Guy Pierce in makeup? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it could be worse. You could have like a Jeremy Renner leading film like this. So it, it this could, could be have been worse. Jeremy Renner, actually. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what did he, did he, what when did he do Born Legacy? Twenty twelve. I think just about a few years before that. Yeah, I think it was 2012. I think that might have destroyed his chances. <laughs> also, one more thing as well. Um, I, I always tweet about this, and I need I need to mention it because it really fucks me off as well. Um, Miami advice, collateral, um, public enemies. Um, they all all uh, they all have brilliant end songs. You have Mogwai, Auto Rock. You have Jay Z yes. dies. Um, collateral. You have uh, Audio Slave, Shadow of the Sun. This film is so poorly constructed at the end with its final song. It doesn't have one. It doesn't have that really good blowout where even the conventions of Michael, right. Michael Mann are there. Really, really annoys me every time I watch it as well. It just doesn't feel like a Michael Mann film. I think he checked out, right? He was just like, at some point, he was just like, I, I can't make this film work. <laughs> but then you, you can change it in the edit, though. It's something very easy to fix. Well, yeah, yeah, but then that kind of just tells you it's just that maybe he didn't feel as uh, as much of an ownership over this film the, the, the way he did, say, for Miami Vice or like with Moby. Or um, so I, I, I honestly think this is a film that he realized halfway through making it he didn't he couldn't make it work and he just didn't care that much. 
Oh no, I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think he would have thought he couldn't. He didn't care. I think he was scrambling to make it. Mm. Oh as, yeah, yeah, as... I, yeah. I, I think so. But, but I have a feeling that this will remain a thorn in his side for a very long while. Because, because, uh, yeah, I agree. Mm. I, but I just, don't, I don't think he's the filmmaker that would would not care. I mean, he he, he remade LA Takedown into Heat because he saw that he couldn't achieve what he wanted to achieve. I don't think he's a filmmaker by. Um, even by his own creed, that, that he would just let something drown. I think and he's, he's not that type of, 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 of director. Um, think if he I, wasn't 78, he would have probably, he would probably remake this into something else 10 years from now. No, I, I, think, I think for the money, I think it's ridiculous. I, I, would, I would expect, if, if I, this is terrible to say because I, I don't really like these people, but if I was a producer for Universal and someone screened me this, and someone said, and at the end, it said directed by Michael Mann. I would, I would have been fucking shocked. Mm-hmm. I'd have said, I mean, you would have recognized by like action sequences. You'd oh, be like, that's Michael I Mann. Like, come on, like you can, think, you can think, see I, it. I think Randy, I think Randy might agree with me. I think that's very far between that you could recognize this as Michael Mann. But no, if I showed you the same, I think film, the action set pieces you do. Um, yeah, Oof. if I showed you this film without the, and, and, the attention and to credits. sound, yeah, yes. the soundscape here, I, I, like I, I think there are elements there. The people just walking through the tunnel with these sort of like explosive yep. charges in there, you'd probably just figure out from there on already that this is a Michael Mann. Like by just by by the way certain things are filmed, you'd, you'd figure it out. You'd even think like, or, or maybe you'd probably think like some is someone trying to rip off Miami Vice in here. I'm sorry. Um, I, I think if, if you if you showed Black Hat, if you showed Sicario, and you showed something else contemporary with a very similar sort of filmmaking aesthetic, and you you, you and you didn't put the names of the credits on each three of the films, and and let's say you had two from Michael Mann and one from Denny Villeneuve, I think it'd be very difficult to spot Black Cat in those three films. You'd, you'd recognize Roger Deakins' cinematography. Come on. Yeah, but I, I, I'm I'm trying to make just the color grading alone would probably give it away. I I think if you if you got Miami Vice, Black Cat, and a, another film that had a very similar aesthetic. And you said two of these were filmed by Michael Mann, and one of them wasn't. I think people would choose the black cat that wasn't. Oh, what, what I, just, I just, I just think it's yeah. very much out of. Out. I, agree, I agree that this maybe it comes from a way that we all know Michael Mann. I think if you showed someone who wasn't acquainted with it, and you showed snippets of his, him as a because his aesthetic, aesthetic, I think, I think Black Cat's a long shot away from See, what I would expect oh, from Michael I know. Mann's set piece. I think okay. May, may, let me challenge you on this in humor here for a second. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. I would say it would be. A, I would say a, a better comparison for me would be if you showed me, say, the Kingdom and this, and removed the credits. It would be difficult to tell apart which one made, was made by Pete Berg. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. One hundred and ten percent. Agreed. But, now, yeah. uh, just color me on this side. If if, if I want to push, yeah, back. go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who does that make? Who does that blush more, Peter Berg, or is that more detriment to Michael Mann? It's a bit of both, no. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, Pete. I mean, we've talked about this. Pete Berg is basically this like this love child of Tony Scott's and Michael Mann's legacies. Mm-hmm. That he's just mm-hmm. kind of the torchbearer of of both of these sort of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, and I agree and with I, that. And I love the guy, the, the guy personally, because every time he makes a film, I just, I just want to send an email to Michael Bay with, with like a link to this film. It's like this is how you wave a fucking flag, because <laughs> 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 you know, like he, he makes, he makes movies that the Michael Bay wishes he could make, right? But you know, um, 
but but honest to god yes i would say uh th- no this this feels and, and it hurts me personally because I, I have a relationship with michael mann that goes way into my 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 my, my childhood and i have a feeling that if he dies like tomorrow this would be the last film he's ever made and this is this this is heartbreaking to me i'll tell you what i'll tell you what another one as well and randy i want you to answer this as well if you had a friend right let's say if michael mann when michael mann leaves this leaves this this mortal world please let, you, you, after he makes the ferrari film yeah let's say you you were going to sh- you were going to show one of your friends his filmographer would you show this film well, if I'm showing the filmography, then I'll show everything, including Jericho Mile. But Ooh, I, I don't, I don't think I would show film. this film. <laughs> but but if I if I'm taking select if I'm taking you know selections from to paint a picture of who man is, no, Black Hat is not on the list. Yeah, if I had to pick like three key. films, it, it, it's yeah, easy if I have to, to take yeah. five or six films even seven or eight, like he's only done 11, I think. But if you have to, uh, t- if you have to show like nine, then you take out the keep and this. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, I'd like to take out Ali too, frankly, but. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> <That's fired. laughs> would you, would you show Miami Vice, Randa? Yes. That's a masterpiece. Would you show yeah. Public Enemies? Yes. Now, I just watched Public Enemies about a week or so ago, just getting into the man spirit. Public Enemies I had not seen since theaters, and it, it, uh, it, I wasn't taken with it the first time I saw it, but I was much more impressed this, this past uh, week when I watched it again. I, I think the characters are fleshed out fairly well, and man does what he sets out to do. I, I think it has the, the man action beats. I think the heists are great. Uh, I think it really works. And one of the things that doesn't work for me as a film goer is uh, biopics. I just don't like biographies on film. I find typically they're too episodic and it's hard to Agreed. either craft a, uh, you know, just a, a nice chain in the story that rises and takes me to a climax or alternatively the thematic is all over the place so i've just got a bunch of episodes so you know i either have a hangout picture or i've just got you know a sum of parts and public enemies is one of the better examples and ali isn't ali is a number of events i I find the the tail end takes me to rumble in the jungle which is, you know, it's a, it's a great scene and it's a great historical moment, but I, I'm left with a sum of parts that I don't really know what to do with. Uh, I also have sometimes issues with Will Smith, but um, so, yeah, I, I did like uh, Public Enemies uh, quite a bit more this, this time around. I, I really liked uh, Marion Cotillard. I thought she was phenomenal in it. And I liked Johnny Depp quite a bit. I thought he, he was a pretty nuanced performance and I, I didn't, I didn't have that reaction first time around, so it's one of my uh, it's one of my favorite Michael Mann films, and mm-hmm. um, it's one of the first films I saw on Blu-ray as well on a, on a HD television. Wow! And, um, I'll be honest with you, it was like it transcended the experience for me when he, when he, when he's in the dust bowl sequence. Where I think when he when the camera like just trails around him and we get the sun. I was yes. like, oh my god, like this is amazing. Yeah. When when we're off air, I'll tell you a story about Public Enemies now. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that that improved a lot. Now, there's something with that aesthetic. When I first saw like this this whole uh, HD video that man has sort of brought into uh, 
the conversation just in his career in the last 20 years of, of his career. Uh, there, there's something with that at first, which was sort of jarring to see on the big screen. Like I, I felt it with Ali because there's some, I think some outside shots, which are shot, shot on uh, HD. And there's something with the aesthetic with public enemies that was a little bit jarring when you, when I saw, especially when I saw it uh, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it came out, uh, there's something a little bit jarring because the, the crispness of the HD. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, it's like that there's a, a layer that's removed a little bit, um, which separates me from the era. Like it, it yes. feels like it's a contemporary, uh, almost news footage type of uh, coverage. And that's a little jarring, but that, that wasn't as jarring this, this next, this, this next viewing, this last viewing that I watched last week. I, I felt this the same way when the, um, tw- in the th- I think it might be the towards the second act when uh, the, the, he shoots Babyface Nelson, but they're going down in the, in the, in the cars at night and they shoot the Tommy guns at the side. I felt exactly the same way. I was like, oh, uh, um, this is like, there's like a dissonance here. I had the same issue with that when James Wan does it in the Conjuring films. Because I'm like, you sh- I can tell he's shooting digital HD. I'm like, but this is the 1970s. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. is that yeah. very, we- I have the really weird relationship where it's on, definitely in horror. Because I feel like, I'm seeing this in the most crystal clear um, way imaginable. It, I just lose all the, that immersion in completely. And I think I had the same experience on Public Enemies. I really, I think I have the same issue with it most definitely. Because you have this attachment within cinema, like uh, Public Enemy and, and, and stuff like that. White Heat, where you see these films in, in a certain production. Um, and when you see it now, it's like they just don't compare they don't feel compatible in a way i felt the same way yeah but see this there's this an interest there's an interesting conversation i mean i know we were drifted away from black hat but we'll, we'll be wrapping up anyway but there's an interesting conversation in here about the realism because if you ask dante spinotti who's um a cinematographer on all these films right um he he prefers the digital um aesthetic because it's more real because we could make an argument because for us there's a dissonance because we are conditioned to see the 35 millimeter grainy aesthetic as something right. more real where it isn't because it's it's more it's it's more stylized by 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 virtue of being uh, so there's there's a chemical process in between you and the film right of this being developed and then you know um and transferred now you could you could say that the digital cinematography re- removes this, so the color depth you see, the the sort of the the shutter speed and everything else is kind of more more in tune with your eye, but mm-hmm. feels odd because this is not something that you you're used to seeing as cinema. Yeah, it's not how we're imprinted. Yes, but right? then but you could say that then then by the idea of taking digital cameras and making a, a 1920s uh, crime drama a period piece is an ex- exercise in bringing realism into this because it kind of just, but, but you have, there's, there's a obstacle you have to jump in your own head, but the, but the, but this of pr- the idea in its pristine form is, 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 is real as in the cinematography tells you how it is. There's, it's just, you have to get over the fact that this sort of cinematic aesthetic is the, is the fake one in here. 
it's just right. it's just impossible to get to, to get get over because we have a century of this under under our belts, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's also like there's an also like a subtextual conversation as well because when you look at a historical figure, perhaps not Ali then, but if you did the same aesthetic now, you, you create an image like a reality of of someone who was is predominantly showcased within a culture in black and white newsreels. Like it, there's a detachment of reality with with these type of icons that, that were real living human beings that changed the face of the world uh, in sport and on a political thing that inspired millions and millions of people and generations. I think it's an interesting conversation to bring uh, those people into a new literal lens. Uh, and I think I think putting Dillinger on there as like an American icon is a really interesting idea. Um, but I think if they did something like Ali now, I think it would be really more interesting to do that. Um, but I, I don't think that's what Michael Mann is, is doing in the same way that I think other um, directors are doing. Like, I, I don't think he's preoccupied with bringing people to the screen for realism. I just think he wants to shoot it. I think I think a lot of it with Michael Mann is he wants to shoot at night. I think collateral, the whole issue of that was he wanted to shoot at LA in a certain time of the night and, and wanted to shoot it but with... Um, a little noise as possible, literally on the on the screen. And I think, I think Ali's instances are shot on top of a building um, with a, yeah, with a riot, a, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So I, I get so it's interesting where it comes from and what it can, what the power of it. But I think Michael Mann uses it in a different way to. He's, oh, he's high on the sort of. Um, I, I love this video. He's high on the sort of hue of like the sodium street lamps. Like everything's kind of like green yeah. orangey. Mm-hmm. Like he he just loves this. Like Miami Vice is full of this. Like Collateral is full of this. And yeah, but Bugly Academy is like, be like, what? There is no soldier. <laughs> yeah, just quickly back to my point as well about um, Ali. Um, can you imagine how more influential that film would be if Spike Lee had made it with the same aesthetic that shot um, with Public Enemies? Like to bring an icon like that for a black director with very, a very much clarity with with an eye. I think he that shoot it on film. No, I know he would, but I'm just saying in a different world. I think it would have been a really interesting experiment. It's like Malcolm it? X as well. Something mm-hmm. tells me that uh, Spike Lee wanted to do that project. I, I know he that did, he, yeah. he was vocal at the time that he was disappointed that it was in the hands of Michael Mann, nothing against Mann, but that it wasn't in the hands of a black auteur. And I, I can mean, appreciate we're, that. We're, we're know that yeah. we, we all know that like Spike Lee... Mm-hmm. All, He's he's a very angry person in general, and he's an angry filmmaker. But but he know, he knows that this he's very attuned to what he sees as as uh, as ongoing injustices, and it's just like well, it, I, I expect nothing nothing else uh, than than him criticizing the fact that it's been made by Michael Mann. Well, I remember. Do you remember the um, flags of our fathers debate with Spike Lee, Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. because of the issues of. Um... Saint Mar- Anna, it's a miracle at St. Anna as well with the black filmmakers, black, sorry, black filmmakers, um, black soldiers. I mean, he's very much um, anti-establishment trying to work in the establishment, which is a, is a very uh, tricky relationship to, uh, to try and conquer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I mean, Michael, I mean, no, Spike Lee is an interesting character, especially what, how, how he has developed recently is just, I think he's, oh, well, I don't know, he's going off the deep end, <laughs> but you know. Um, anyway, I think we need to r- ring it back to ba- Black Hat. How about we just share our final thoughts? Like Carson's not coming back. I think he's completely out. I don't know. He's yeah. not, he's, his his Wi-Fi is dead. So um, yeah, that, that, there's that. It just happens. And you know, show must go on. So we can't just 
let's pretend this didn't happen. And then just like Carson just fell asleep. So no, <laughs> just dropped out of the conversation and then we can't get him in because his Wi-Fi is, uh, is gone. So how about boys? Will we share our final thoughts? Randy, do you want to lead the way and then say how, how we feel about Black Hat and just move on with our lives? Uh, sure. Black Hat, uh, although it has some okay moments, really falls apart in its development of this story. Uh, Chris Hemsworth it just doesn't have the nuance uh, to bring out anything from the inside to make this character uh, a little bit more, you know, realistic and uh, a, a deep character. Um, at the end of the day, I think that every watching uh, and rewatching of this film, it uh, just lowers in, in quality, which is sort of sad because, as I said, I did sort of enjoy this in the, the first time around. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's diminishing returns each time out. I'm, I'm going to echo. I'm going to echo a lot of Randy's sentiments here. I, I, this is a film. I hope that every time I watched it, especially with this alternate cut, that. I would find something deeper and more meaningful. And really it's done the exact opposite where I think we've had a discussion here for, for the four hours that we've, we've almost been here. Um, and we've oh, uncovered three, a, a lot. Three, three. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've uncovered a lot that suggests quite the opposite, which is which is always an interesting experiment because ultimately we, we, we come to a conclusion that's not a happy one, but nevertheless it's, it's a conclusion. Um there's a lot here that disappoints me. The fact that it's a Michael Mann film, but it just doesn't have any bottle. The fact that it's 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 hollow and flat in mostly every department. I think the score's poor. I don't I don't think it has the identity and conventions idiosyncrasies of Mann himself. Uh, I think he's, he even the smallest of details. I think with with how he he, he closes his his feature um, is not here. It's not evident. It's it's, it's not even apparent. Um, each version has fundamental flaws that I, I, I seriously think are unsalvageable. I think this is um, a pig and a poke. I think it's. I think it's. I, do you know? I, I think. I think for an average filmmaker, and when I say average, I, I don't mean a. I think like a journeyman. I think this is a, is a is an okay venture. I think for a Michael Mann film, like like what Randy's saying about, it, it, you have to have a massive certain of disbelief in here to even indulge it within his filmography especially with with the films he's, he's made that surround this very similar subject or genre let's say um i think it, it severely under, underwhelms i don't know where we categorize this in a rating system either i think it's a three out of five film i think it's a five out of ten um i think it's very middle of the road uh, for an average um director behind the camera i think that's credible um for Michael Mann, I think it's more so disappointing. So it'd be, it'd be very difficult to sort of suggest that. Is this an uncut gem? No. And it's so, I don't even want to have to say Michael Mann should be an uncut gem territory. Um, but it's nowhere, it's nowhere close to being an uncut gem. And, and, and to make matters even more strenuous, um, I think this film is unsalvageable as well, which is such a shame. I think fundamentally, um, like, like again, like Randy said uh, during the, the discourse, he's chasing something I don't think he's ever going to get here, hoping that the, the dominoes fall behind him when he's making this trench, when he's, he's making this direct line. And it's just so poorly conceived. I think everything about here feels a dissonance to what he would create. There's, he's not involved in the screenplay. 
Um, I think that's a fundamental issue. And unfortunately, this is one of the very few times where we get on this podcast and, and I come away from it more disappointing having <laughs> been here than than hoping I mean, Car- that I'd Carson very often comes off and com- com- comes off dis- more disappointed than you began. Yeah, but I mean, I think, <laughs> I think this is a platform where we look at things and we, we try to see the positives. And I think we've, d- we've done this film a service of really investigating it as well. And I think all four of us um, have come to very clear conclusions about fundamental issues, performance, screenplay, narrative, editing. Um, these are very much apparent, I think. And if, if all four of us are coming to a sort of a, um, a common conclusion, I think that's a, a testament to, to the issues of the film. But I, I just feel like I wish that I, I, could, I could just think... I've, I've wished, well, to fair, I wish that I'd have seen the 2015 in 2015 and I, I would only have a fleeting idea of what it was and what it possibly could have been. Having t- seen two versions of it now just gives me the horrible feeling of that it is, is what it is. And I think that's always going to be slightly tragic that it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, um, you know, yeah, it rarely does happen that we just, okay, well, it does, does happen, but it does happen rarely that we all kind of just end up not liking the film that we talk about and then i don't want okay well, i don't want to toot my own horn in here but i have a feeling that if i'm the one who's negative about a film it's usually a bad sign because i'm because <laughs> it's, it's one of those like, i don't know I, I see myself as the as the glass half full kind of person like i'm always trying to look for these positives even like and, and clutch onto them like 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 i don't know <laughs> like 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 my life depended on it like I, yeah, and and then you know, it's and and here and here we are, like three hours into into a conversation. I, I have a thing. Yes, I think I do agree. Like, I think we gave this movie its day in court, and and um, I, but there's no, there isn't, there is no silver lining to this. This, I I I think the film has fundamental problems. It's, it's conceptually flawed. It's it's marred by by poor performances it's edited like uh, I, I don't know it's, it has massive editing issues it has logical issues it has con- it has identity issues it, i don't know if it wants to be a james bond film or something else and i have a feeling that the pe- people who made it and the make michael mann included they didn't have much of a clue how to make it how to make it work in a way that would be tactile and visceral and then af- affecting to the viewer and I, that just speaks to the my fundamental sort of problem with this that hacking ultimately is not as cinematic as people would like it to be and especially if you if you want this to be realistic it's either going to be realistic and boring or it's going to be completely dumb and then uh, and, and visually appealing and then you can't have i don't think you can have a have it both ways and if you want to have hacking as a as a situation you have to fall back on something else case in point the matrix right or um yeah, the Matrix is probably the best thing because it, <laughs> yeah. hacking is kind of there, but it's but there but there's whole shit ton of other things in the film that just kind of just make it propel because you don't have to just clutch onto this sort of decoding issue. It's just a garnish to it almost. Like it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's um it's an added layer of subtext for something. And then I have a feeling that this is what it is. 
and the film asks me to suspend my disbelief while it's also asking me to believe that this is real and i have a and i have a massive problem with with accomplishing the same two things because i have a feeling that this will involve me developing serious cognitive dissonance and i don't like that sort of <laughs> situation because <laughs> i would have to be i have to be able to hold two conflicting opinions at the same time and this just fries my circuits <laughs> so i i don't know black hat in I, I will say the director's cut or whatever passes for director's cut nowadays is an improvement on this in terms of how easy it is to watch, but I, it has its own problem and it's uh, it's essentially polishing a turd because I don't think there's there's a great film in here and it, it's heartbreaking to me because Black Hat would be the last film that Michael this is the last thing on the, man, on the man's resume and it's just a bad film. It's it's a, it's a poor film that doesn't have what it should it doesn't have a heart and then usually this this is what sells me on michael mann's film on, on films that in general that they have a beating heart they're made of flesh and blood if you cut into this film there's blood coming out of it and this thing doesn't have any of that it's it's i don't know can i ask two questions very quick for oh, for, yeah for <laughs> yes go for it do, 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 uh, by the keep by the keep do you think a this is the worst film in michael mann's filmography and b do you think that this is his Hitchcock's family plot where it's one too many? It's just there's a time where mm-hmm. the last film is just it's an overstepping of, of a great creator. That's fair. I think that's fair. Although, uh, you know, because the guy made it when he was 70. Maybe it's one of those situations at some point you, you know, you realize when that you, you, you should have retired after you've made the film that you shouldn't have made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it what may about, be one of those. The, what about the part, part one? Uh, oh, Barda Keep. Is this the worst film that he's made? I haven't seen LA Takedown, or so I. I What's well, a TV movie? Anyway. Let's just do this. Do cinematic. So cinematic, yeah. The Keep is in its in its own league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, this I think that's fair. I think that's fair. What about you, Render? Uh, I would have to say that between Black Hat or Alley, like they <sighs> they they fail for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Alley. I'm left with something that doesn't have elements of, uh, you know, weakness and the, the, the flaws that black hat has um, are, are really problematic. Whereas I, I just don't like what I end up with, with Ali. So um, between those two, they're the least satisfying. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know. I think we've said our piece on, on the mm. film. Black Hat's kind of a bit of a failure. And so so this is going to be now the challenging bit. We need to go through our top threes. <laughs> top three moments and scenes and whatever about Black Hat. Randy, how about you go first? Uh, all right. In no particular order. Um, I do enjoy that every time someone in this movie sticks a USB device into a USB slot. They do it, they do it, it correctly on the first time. <laughs> it freaks me out. <laughs> so, but you know what was... freaks me out more? Like you, you do it first time, it doesn't go, you flip it. It's still wrong. You have to flip it twice. It's like the... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but not here. They had a crack setter research behind this and everyone was oh, instructed so to do it properly. Uh, so that, that, that impressed me. Um, I like the scene where I, I believe it's, um, uh, Wang and Viola Davis are having lunch with the gentleman from the Chicago stock exchange. 
He's played by Spencer Garrett. Uh, I think it's, it's his only scene, but I think he's particularly good. And he says that I am not going to uh, release information on thousands of private trades to a foreign power. You're crazy. Uh, but Viola Davis responds with a look and a one-liner of her own. And uh, she just dominates that moment. And she she's fantastic in the whole film. Well, she calls him by name, right? She says, uh, uh, well, Gary, why don't I take the uh, information that I have and I'll contact someone who will relay the fact that we're conducting an investigation on you and it'll hit the uh, news cycle uh, by three o'clock. What do you think of that, Gary? Yeah. And uh, nails it, nails it. Um, Stone cold, by the way. Yeah, she's fantastic in this. Like she is uh, amazing. No question about it. And I'll say it again. It really should have been her story and her mm-hmm. Chinese counterpart. Um, and Hemsworth can be clacking keys in the background. Thank guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and my my final top three. I'm going to say the animation that's used here. The the CGI uh, when whenever the camera dips inside the keyboard and you see the data packets flying around when it's explained a little bit later on about how the data packets are going in and opening a portal, like that imagery is really solid. There's another moment too, where, um, and it's uh, Tom Cruise's cousin, William Mapather, he shows up and he's typing in the keyboard and Hemsworth is hacking him and using a keylogger to steal his information, but it's visually represented wonderfully because the camera shoots beneath the keys taking the keystrokes and then you see what's popping up on Hemsworth's computer. I, I think it's very well done. Um, just the, the CGI imagery. And, and that is not uh, Michael Mann's, that's not his bag. Like he, he just does not do that often. And I think that's a, a very nice touch and that's fused in here nicely, very nicely. Cool. Jack with top three. So that's going to be hard. Is it? Um, I, I, I <clears throat> it's a struggle because I, I want, I want to pick three that I, I really feel strongly in, but um I, th- I think we're all again. We're all going to come to a collective base here. Um, again, no, pl- uh, no, no particular order. I think Viola Davis is really strong here. Um, I think I think her arc's very interesting. Um, I think it gets slightly um, anticlimactic and, and slightly underwhelming towards its sort of its end. Uh, but again, like she, she delivers uh, like a, a dialogue, like like razor sharp. She's wonderful monologue, perfect, and she's 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 very charismatic and. Um, she has she has wonderful chemistry, but she doesn't emote it like a, as a consciously either. So it, it feels really natural. Um, the second layer is is the sequence outside the airport. I think it's the gunfight. I really, really enjoy that. It feels I don't know. Like you can feel, you can feel bursts of energy there where you you feel the mood, particularly shocking as well because it it results in some resulting impact with the film that you feel for the I think for the first time within the film um, the narrative where there's real there's real weight here where pe- people people are not going to make out this film um, alive um, and thirdly I, I would probably a- agree with 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 Randy but um, I'll, I'll um, I, I think I'm probably going to have to actually I, I, I think no actually I'm, 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 I'll, I'll go something else I'm going to go for the director's cut version or the, the alternate edit, but w- when they go to the nuclear power plant and they actually enter it, I find it quite tense. I quite like the, the imagery there. I think, I think there's interesting framing. I think there's an interesting um, 
uh, use of camera that that like like Randy said about that sequence with uh, Tom Cruise's cousin. Um, I forget his name, William uh, Mapatha. Sorry, William Mapatha. No. Yeah, Mapatha. I, th- I think there's um, <clears throat> it just feels interesting and, and different to what I've seen of Michael Mann's um, conventions in, in the past. It just feels like a quite a tense sequence in a different arrangement of possibly what we've seen beforehand in his filmography. Um, and I think that the, it's, it's always sort of like quietly tense in there with, with dark, brooding atmosphere. Um, th- those are my personal threes, but I think, I think there's a few of them. I, I, don't, I don't think this is a rotten to its core uh, by any means. Oh, no, no, I, I think there's the, the film isn't uh, like, a, you know, a zero star out of five. Like yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah. I mean, mm. I've listed, like when I was composing my top threes and bottom threes, I have, I have a bunch of things I like. Um, but I've, I've mentioned some of them already, like the sort of the car flip and, and the director's cut. I really like the, sh- the shipping container firefighter. Really like, but you know, like what what I wanted to kind of just focus on in here, like I'll just pick three because you know, like recently Jack accused me of breaking my own rules. Yeah, he picks um, four and picking picking like seven. He's like nine of the week. <laughs> may have yeah um so <laughs> one of them the uh, that's from the director's cut the out of focus opening shots of the empty stock market is just haunting i just like the imagery it's very nice even though it probably it doesn't make sense with, logically for the story to kind of start with that way the whole idea of this sort of empty stock market where just shit happened and it's just this papers like it kind of looks like it's like a 9-11 sort of situation with these papers mm. everywhere mm-hmm. it's it's haunting i love it um how the Albanian guy discovers he's being spied on by seeing the lens reflection in a teapot is just miraculous for making to me. This is just brilliant. That this is this is the type of sort of realism that Michael Mann's film film filmmaking is always sort of known for, at least in my mind. And the third one, um, how how McCallany's Mac, character dies because he's shot in chest and he flies back like a rag doll. Um, in one unbroken cut and I'm just I can't see the wires yeah. it's just in terms of filming it's yeah. just brilliant in slow motion kind of it feels sort of dreamlike almost but it's but at the same time you feel like you're watching it's, that's that's what the digital cinematography does to, to, to films because it feels like you're watching someone recording this on his phone um, and yeah so so I don't know these are my 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 three top three moments so how about bottom three? Yeah. <laughs> Randy, here we go. <laughs> Randy, here we go. All top right. Top <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a scene. Um, Viola Davis uh, gets the call that Hemsworth has broken into the NSA computer and she awakens and she storms out of her room. They have this uh, flat and she storms out of the room. She walks by Holt McCallany and she walks into the room where uh, Tong Wei and Chris Hemsworth were sleeping together and the door's wide open and it's empty, but she goes in, takes a step in, they're gone. And Holt McCallany, who can see from his vantage point that the room is empty, looks at his phone, checks the app that has the tracking mechanism on and says, nope, says he's here. Oh crap, maybe he changed the settings. So I, I thought that just was... Poorly but, realized. But like it's, it's also like a crypto um, ad for Apple. It's like, is this an Android phone? Oh yeah, I can have yes. this shit. I was like, yeah, yeah. great. Um, I I also found uh, just there's any one of a number of uh, these moments where 
the logistics of Michael Mann communicating to the audience where the characters are. Um, there, there's one that sort of stood out to me is uh, it's shortly after the scene I just mentioned where uh, Leanne and Hathaway and Dwight, they're meeting at some other, I don't know, place that the brother and sister are aware of. And they come up with a plan how they're going to go to Malaysia and Hathaway says, no, I'm going alone. And then they, they separate. And from there, uh, Dewey and Hathaway get in a car and they just start driving through the city. And you see all these scenes of them driving. They go in a tunnel, they go to a toll, toll booth and they, they cross a bridge and the sister Tong Wei, she goes back to the original hideout where Viola Davis presumably is copy something off of the hard drive. And then the next time you see her, she's at the airport and gets there first. So I thought that was sort of a bizarre threading together of, of time. Um, and then finally, I would say the, the, the climax in general, I, I think it's an irresponsible spectacle to just shoot up the festival and have the characters walk away. I think the dialogue between uh, the antagonist and protagonist at the, at the end, I, I think it's just, it's very weak. And they're also speaking at regular volume over what must be, you know, a very high, high volume, uh, but they're just speaking at a, in regular voices. And I, I just think the whole thing comes across poorly. And even for spectacle, it's a spectacle that man does not nail like this is just weak. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the entire, you know, the entirety of the, that five minute scene or whatever it is. Alrighty, Jack. Bottom three. I, th- I think I think like your, your top three, Jacob. I think I, I probably filtered these throughout my, my whole um, conversation, this whole dialogue. Um, I'm going to pick the three that that I think fundamentally are, are really weak here. Um, no, number one, um, they're they're all intertwined, so you're going to get a theme here. Number one, and the biggest issue here is the screenplay. I think it's fundamentally flawed on multiple surfaces. I don't think it has enough weight behind it. I don't think it allows much layers. I think that, again, fundamentally on the politics, it, 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 it's shrouded in, in mystery. Um, I think how it gives arcs is, is, is anticlimactic, underwhelming, all those, all those descriptors. Um, secondly, I think the casting of Chris Hemsworth, well, I think on paper, is, is, is effective for the studio. Um, really dampens the, uh, the the whole experience. I think with someone a little bit more compelling, I think you've got a different film. I think you've still got the same issues, but I don't think you've got it to the standard where you where you you find yourself uh, with a lack of immersion with the material. I, th- I think you find it, especially on a human level, more compelling. I, th- I think you'd, like Randy said throughout, you'd still have an issue with the logical nature of the proceedings. I think that they are fundamental things with my, my first issue, but I think Hemsworth has a lot to carry. I don't think he's capable of doing it. I don't think it all should rest on his shoulders. I think he's honing his craft and realising his limitations, and that must be terrible to find out on, on, a, on a production such as this. And thirdly, and it's, it's one thing I've, I've tried to discuss a lot throughout this, um, there's a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a description of Michael Mann online, that, and I think, Jacob, you've, you've, you've said it a few occasions that Michael Mann films fuck. They have their sensuality around them. They have a, a sex appeal. As soon as this film starts and as soon as this film ends, I think that this it would drain any all and all forms of that sensuality out of anything. If Miami Vice watched Black Hat 
um, it, 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 it would be a cold um, internal combustion. It, it just it, this film it lacks any form of love, tenderness, and I'm talking about the characters. I think Chris Hemsworth and the, and the, and the female leads um, have the worst chemistry I think I've seen in a Michael Mann film. Um, from uh, including Tom Sizemore and his, his Galil um, assault rifle, like it's it's so poorly constructed and there's just absolutely no ambiance to it. There's no immersion. There's no there's no sensuality. And I, I don't need them even when they have their sex sequence. I think it's just terribly sort of constructed because you don't believe a word of it. And then when he gets to the end with the climax, no pun intended, and they're all, they're going to run away together. I'm just sat there. I'm thinking, like you two don't give a fuck about each other. Like this is this is really you you're here because if you don't go together, you both are fucked. Um, and 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 and, and it slightly slightly annoys me when you see something yeah. like uh, Gong Li and Colin Farrell in Miami Vice. When you see Baron Cotillard, like Bye Bye Blackbird, that that really small tender sequence where he whispers it. The the. I just think this is so far in between what I would expect from Michael Mann. And I think it's a fundamental issue that if it had a core relationship, you could maybe forgive a few elements. For me, I think it's the biggest sin of the film. And, I, and that is, again, goes back to part two and then goes back to part one. My points, I think all three of them meld together to, to a really, really poor construction of the film. You know, before, before I do my point, oh, I just wanted to quickly say you know when you said oh yeah well like we've all agreed that you know like michael mann's films kind of just you can you can have the sort of sexual comparison to them so in in if you were to kind of compare them so like miami vice or heat would be films that the film equivalents of like two young people who are in love just going at it just steaming the windows leaving stains on the sheets and just sweaty and just you know all and steamy sort of uh, situation going on. This is like two people in their in their fifties, like waking up in the middle of the night, and it's like I can't sleep. Do you wanna? Fine, you know, fine, let's do this. But you go on top, and then no one has an orgasm. Do you know? Do you know what you say? <laughs> right. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you there. But don't you think that it feels the same way with Public Enemies, where it takes two people. It, it's a more mature love relationship where. The two people at a certain age, where they know their they know their baggage, they know what they want, and they you know what <laughs> you know what public enemies in this in in, in, the, in this in this analogy is the same sort of older people go like, how about we try doggy style today? No, and it's God, a failure. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you not do you not think the public enemies relationship works? Oh no, no, I like the film. I, no, not what the relationship. Analogy, yeah, the film in what general. A horrible analogy. <laughs> Just sorry. What a horrible thing to say. <coughs> Sorry. A terrible I, thing. And now I put this image in your head. You are welcome. You're great. Of <laughs> Anyway, bottom three on my on my behalf. We have got like six listed, but I'm gonna pick three. The push-ups in the jail cell in the theatrical <laughs> cut. I mean it just comes back to the writing and the character of Prince Hems or and then just in in I don't know, inferring that he's some kind of a navy seal. It's just I don't know. Another one that's a okay, it's a pet peeve because I've I've spoken at length about what I don't like, how how you know hacking is uncinematic and whatever. So let's just pick a specific the guy in the NSA opening a PDF with guidelines to something he probably already knows. 
Ooh, like he gets yeah. an email it's like you should change your password here's your guidelines i've fucking i've changed my uh, I, I'm, I work in the nsa i'm asked <laughs> to change my password every month i don't have to open a pdf <laughs> you, ju you just reminded me something about the nsa the, mm. the writer of this is doing a sequel series to enemy of the state oh for, really? for abc oh that'll be interesting to see how much of a shit show that is yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness, he's gonna ruin the legacy of another film. Fuck you know. Um, <laughs> okay, and another one. Uh, this is something that I, I think Randy's gonna kill me for this. The animations of signals traveling through wires date this movie so much that it makes me feel like I'm watching Panic Room. <laughs> just... Oh, that's that's harsh. That's harsh. Okay, I'm sorry, but it kind of looks like it's like it's like the opening of Fight Club. I mean, like Jesus, really? <laughs> oh, that's okay that's okay <laughs> i mean it has it, it's it's kind of like oh let's tap into the 90s i mean we're going to talk about hackers at some point in the future like spoiler alert in a few weeks time there's going to be a hackers episode so you like there's plenty more shit like this coming in <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um anyway i think that concludes the episode so black hat can be uh well streamed on hbo max in the u.s and on i think on amazon prime in canada if I remember correctly, looking on Just Watch and then in a bunch of other markets, I think it's also on Prime, but it's not available in that way in the UK. So there is that. So you can you have to pay up for this on top of your subscriptions and or or purchase it from the usual suspects. Um, but or you or you can acquire your DVD or Blu-ray like Randy, um, and then then, then yeah. now you have to live with it. <laughs> uh, but you know, but it's only the theatrical cut because the um, you know the director's cut is kind of like yeah like it's, it's it's there it's out there but it's difficult to kind of track and then you know it's one of those two movies that fans are now begging for with the keep being the second one for man to release this director's cut on physical media and then hopefully people like an arrow video will probably get on that at some point because you know like they like shit like this anyway so that's it for this episode of Anchor gems podcast so where can we find you all on social media randy you can find me on letterboxd at at Bratch7 and on Twitter at Randy Burrows. And you can read some of the things that I've written on Clapper. Cool. Jack, where can we find you? You can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter with the username at Jack Luke Sharp. Awesome. And then we can also find Carson at BP underscore movie reviews on Twitter because he's 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 his internet's down and I, I might as well just not pretend that he's dead. Uh, so he, he's at BP, at bp underscore movie reviews also we can find his stuff on buttered popcorn clapper filmotomy and awards watch so he's he's out there you, you can read his stuff in a bunch of places and follow him on twitter as well and you can find me at talk about film on twitter and as uh, yakub flash on letterbox you can read my stuff on clapper and on flashonfilm.com and you can also follow the show on twitter and instagram at uncut gems pod so make sure to follow and like and retweet our stuff and also rate and review us on Apple, please. Five stars, please. And goes for everyone involved in here. And not wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Review us on, on, on Apple. Increases our visibility. Anyway, you can also get in touch with us by sending us an email at uncontrimspod at gmail.com. You can also, where you can sound off about how wrong we are about Black Hand because apparently you may think it's a masterpiece and then we'll tell you you're wrong. Do you think um, there are those people? Do you think so? They're 
there are people out there calling for 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 this film to be re-edited. There are fans out there. This is ridiculous, but you know, no. <laughs> I think most people are just kind of like, uh, yeah, either indifferent or just trying to forget that this film exists. Yeah, so send us an email, uncutgemspot.gmail.com. And then you can also um, support the show by uh, buying us a coffee at coffee.com slash uncutgemspot. And you can also subscribe to our Patreon over at patreon.com slash clapperltd, where for two bucks a month you get extra podcasts with um, other stuff. So as I said at the top of the show, there's going to be a Satoshi Kon retrospective coming out. And then at this point, when you're listening to this already, there's Stephen King's Booktacular, um, a special episode of Death by Ad- Adaptation should be up there. Uh, as well and then there's going to be a circling the matrix special coming to you in december in addition to what we're doing in here so uh, in that spirit as well be sure to tune in next week because this is well this is officially i think this 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 could count as the sort of circling the matrix sort of um season because it's a hacker film but now we're actually starting this officially next week because we'll be talking about uh jupiter ascending so we're building up to matrix resurrections starting early in november um and i'm I'm hoping you will you'll you'll join us on this journey so look out for that but for now i hope you have a fabulous day and we'll see you next week bye bye